0: Tonight's episode of Astonishing Legends is brought to you by the Great Courses Plus, Blue Apron, and our contributors at Patreon.
1: In the mid 1990s, electronics giant Panasonic released a new product onto the consumer market a personal digital recorder. It was a breakthrough in technology at the time because prior to its invention, personal recorders all required tape cassettes or microcassettes to capture audio. These new recorders recorded directly to a form of non-volatile memory, or RAM memory, that can retain data even when powered down. While Panasonic was not the only company producing these, they did produce one model that has become legendary in the last decade, even though it's now been over 20 years since it was produced. It's a model known as the RR dr 60 This unit probably sold for around $20 back in 1993. A modern equivalent currently runs around $130, but the DR-60 has a backstory. You won't find this in print anywhere, but according to legend, the DR-60 was a disaster for Panasonic. Everyone who bought one was angrily returning them and contacting Panasonic, asking for their money back. It seems this little digital recorder was not very good at recording your personal memos and messages. But, it was good at capturing strange voices of unknown origin that couldn't be heard by the people present during recording. Panasonic reportedly recalled the unit. As a result, they are now extremely hard to find. Is any of this true? There's no way to verify it, and attempts by all to do so have been fruitless. However, if you type dr 60 into Google, you will find countless links that suggest it is one of the most prolific recorders of electronic voice phenomena, or EVPs, ever built. You will also, as with all things of this nature, find a few debunking its abilities. Paranormal researchers don't all agree on what it does or how it works, and it's well known that it produces its own sounds internally. Our voices from the other side manipulating those sounds into words... In some cases, it seems subjective, and in others, the words sound pretty clear. This cheap little handheld and purportedly recalled personal digital recorder is now selling for over $1,500 on eBay, if you can even find one. A comment on humanity's desire to communicate with the dead. Here's what we know. We went on a ghost hunt with one just over a week ago in Kent, Ohio. And that one recorded some sounds in response to some questions that sure sounded like voices to us.
2: Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Kathy Weber and Merle who passed away in 2013.
0: If Merle is present, Merle, did you like a dark roast on your coffee or did you like something a little lighter?
2: Join us tonight for a show about our recent trip to Kent, Ohio, for the Kent Paranormal Weekend and the bizarre events that happened to us on our first official ghost hunt.
1: And we're back. Ooh. They were what, getting spooky. Yeah, man, that is kind of spooky. Yeah. <laughs> By
2: us being back, you mean you, me, and the 14 spirits that came with us from
1: Ohio, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't know how you parse those out or count those up. Yeah. How do you qualify know. those? Well, yeah, you're right. Uh, and
2: one of them is an imposter anyway. Those are the dangerous ones. You can't even tell
1: what they oh, are. Oh, well, that counts for 10. That counts for two then, you're yeah. right. All right? No, <laughs> we, we're kidding. About it. We're, we are kidding. But man, our trip to Ohio was a lot of fun and we learned a lot. It was really interesting. Yeah, we met a lot of super
2: cool people on both sides of the
1: stage and in the aisle with
2: fans and listeners who came a long way to see us. Thank you very much. That uh, that was really
1: the best part. I think, you know, we always find that when we get done with something that, you know, it was interesting. You did some networking, but really it's hanging out with people. That's the fun part. Yeah. And and the takeaway. Yeah,
2: that is a blast. And I got to tell you, I have learned something about 100-year-old theaters. Uh, uh, And theaters in general, they are a bevy of bizarre paranormal activity. And I got to say, as the more skeptical of the two of us – I'm still trying to come to grips with
1: everything we experienced while we were there. Well, good for you. But for those that might listen to this later than when it was released, in late April of 2018, Scott and I flew to Kent, Ohio, to attend a gathering of like-minded folks at an event known as the Kent Paranormal Weekend. We've only just started to make live appearances like this in the past year or so, with our first one being in Detroit back in January of 2017. Yeah. Well, this is our first time attending something primarily paranormal in focus. And as a result, there were a multitude of amazing first-time experiences for both of us. So tonight we thought it'd be fun to share with you what happened to us in Kent and talk about how it affected us in
2: ways that we had not predicted. I'm still trying to shake an encounter that I had, On a ghost hunt, and we were both shocked to have heard our first EVP or electronic voice phenomenon on that same hunt. Yeah, at least in person, anyway.
1: Yeah, I I mean, mean, I've I've heard a lot of them, of course, online. You can go punch that in and search. You can hear them. Yeah, and some are pretty creepy. Even if you don't believe in that stuff, just the the nature of the voices—it just creeps you out.
2: Yeah, but the thing is, though, whenever you hear that stuff online, you all—at least me, anyway—I always think, well, I wasn't
1: there. (laughs) This wouldn't be that hard to (laughs) make to fake. It's a whole different thing when it happens right in front of you. Well, you saw behind the curtain. Yeah. Uh, there was no man behind the curtain. It was just, it was us. So we were we were there. <laughs> we saw the process happening. Yeah. And we can't even imagine how you would fake something like that. We, so, and we can't, can't explain it. And uh, yeah. by
2: the way, we are now loading up with ghost hunting gear. We're uh. going to get a little bit more <laughs> official about it. Because we do have, we have a date in July with yeah. a haunted house in the middle of the country. And uh, I want to be ready when we get there.
1: Well, so. I, th- I think we're going to stop short at jumpsuits <laughs> with, the, with logos in the back. <laughs> (laughs) nuclear accelerators yeah but we are getting those um basically it's like a camera rack it's an old flash rack you know for an slr yeah because you have to have a few devices going at once and it's hard to juggle all of these well any case before we get started a quick programming note we are dark next week meaning there will be no show but we'll be back the week after that okay let's get down to business Right, so the Kent Paranormal Weekend, or KPW, which you're actually going to hear Aislinn
2: say a lot in her interview. If you hear her say KPW, that's what it refers to, Mm. Kent Paranormal Weekend. Mm -hmm. It was our first trip to do something like this. It's put on by Rochelle Charlton, who owns and operates the 100-year-old Kent Stage in Kent, Ohio. Her husband helps out as well as her daughter, Aislinn, who's a guest— on tonight's show. To give us a little background and history about the place. Yeah, which is fun because it's a really amazing building, has an amazing energy, and we had a,
1: oh, well, a lot of, of experiences any, in it. Yeah, yeah. They, the building has its own cast of characters, as yes. you'll living see. living and dead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. The Kid Paranormal Weekend
2: is a gathering of paranormal authors, there's investigators, there's filmmakers like yeah. Seth Breedlove, yep, yep. who we were thrilled to meet. There's podcasters and uh, various experts in the field, and when I say podcasters, besides us, Jim. Yeah. Harold was also there, which oh, you might yes. have heard us mention, and of course. we finally got to meet him, which we're very excited about, and it was him that reached out to us about attending this, actually, so yeah, several months ago.
1: Right. I think that happened, though, yeah, uh, like th- a year through Detroit, right, because yeah. Rochelle and Aislinn saw us at the Macomb Community College doing our presentation in Detroit. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, which was our first
2: presentation, and uh, should be stricken from the record. <laughs> was, uh, no, but it was fun. We talked yeah. about Parashaney, which we later made into a show. Yes. We're not one of those shows that... Tries to take our live thing and record it because it's just uh, not the same as well, our show. No, it's not we for, rather yeah. do kind of what we're doing now, which is where we're going to tell you about the experiences that we had and make it more into the format of one of our podcasts. But um, they were there, and then Jim asked us if we wanted to come to it. So it was great to get there. We also met, you know who was amazing, uh, mm-hmm. was this guy, Colin Schneider, who ah, is yes. also known as the Crypto Kid and know that has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> or a Wild West uh, gunslinger. Yeah, yeah, and he's an expert on cryptids, and yeah. has... Really gets around. He's had uh, been on television, all kinds of different places. He did a really cool presentation. Uh, I think it was called Bloodsucking Beasts" or something like that. It, it, was, it was. I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, it was basically on predation. It was strange. Cases of predation where people think like this can't possibly be a real animal that did all this destruction. Yes, and he gets to the bottom of it. He's learned a lot. He's really well studied. Yeah, and he's, he's only seventeen. To, yeah, he's
2: only seventeen. <laughs> yeah. He's
1: going to like a STEM school. His dad's driving
2: him to everything. It's it's right. pretty amazing. And we talked <laughs> yeah. to him actually about a possible future collaboration because yeah. we're yeah. we're looking into uh, doing a show at some point on cattle mutilation. That's our new Coral Castle. We
1: always oh, uh, there about we it. go. Sure, but, yes. um, but no. We're hoping he turns into a, a next generation Ivan T. Sanderson. Yes. Uh, Well, he's well on
2: his way. He's well
1: on his way and he's well known. We
2: also met an author named Brandon Mazzullo, Mm -hmm. uh, M-A-S-S-U-L-L-O, who we are going to be having on the show. He agreed to come on the show too. He was there talking about his book, The Ghost Studies, New Perspectives on the Origins of Paranormal Experiences. And it's pretty cool. It covers a lot of stuff, including a super fascinating... Academic investigation into the nature of crisis apparitions, which he actually gave a presentation on. I didn't even know they had a label, but you guys all know what these are. These are when you see someone who has is a close relative or a loved one yeah. who maybe has just died or is trapped in a car or something like that, right.
1: and you see it at this moment of crisis. Well, yeah, and of course I know people that that's happened to. Yeah, and and as I said before, you sometimes see it in films. It was in about a boy. Yeah, Uh, right. Tony Colette appears to her son across uh, the pond there when she's in crisis; she could die. So uh, that seems to happen. And Uh, yeah, and Brandon has
2: studied this. He's got a degree in parapsychology. Yeah, he attended school in Edinburgh. Yeah. Uh, right next to Greyfriars Kirkyard. And, uh, <laughs> well, it's just, a sci-
1: yeah, it's a scientific application to some of these ideas, which when you hear about it, it, it's not that woo-woo. Yeah. It's like some form of a communication that we don't understand, but seems to happen and may be trapped out there in the ether, repeating Yeah, itself. a mess. It's anyway, we're yeah, going to have him on. It's going to yeah. make a great
2: episode. We're looking forward to that. We also met an author named Greg Lawson, who is known as the paranormal detective. And That's right. He's just the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> Funny, yeah, great sense yeah. of humor. Oh, and he runs a swap.
1: Team in Austin, <laughs> well, Texas. No, he's had he's had many years with a law enforcement background. Yeah. Which, of course, you know, if you as we saw in Resurrection Mary, a lot of uh, police officers, a lot of people in law enforcement, you're down there in the weeds and you see some weird stuff. Yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. so he's
2: made a connection between that kind of stuff and the paranormal. If you Google the paranormal detective and Greg Lawson, it'll come right up. He's got books out, all that stuff. We're hoping to have him on the show as well. Yep, we met yep. some paranormal investigators, Adam Bonnet, mm-hmm. uh, Ray Gooseby, who was on our ghost hunt with us. The Uh, Goose. The the Goose. Yeah. It was amazing. He's a really funny guy. Uh, Very funny guy. Really nice, laid back, and had some really cool gear. I meant to ask him about. He had this one box with all these lights on. I was like, what is that? Yeah.
1: So So Well, what's what's interesting is that a lot of these guys are good at this as far as electronics and knowing what it requires, and they fashion their own equipment. Yeah. They'll modify their own equipment to suit their needs there. Two people I didn't get a chance to talk to, but uh, I really wanted to, was Todd Shalott, and Jacqueline Davio. Oh, yes. They were talking about their book, Connections from the Hereafter, which yeah. had, you know, Rich Haddam's favorite uh, topic, and one of mine too, Yeah, what happens after you pass on. But yeah, I, I wish i get a, a chance to talk with them, but there's a lot of activity going on, a lot of people there presenting and, and just chatting up you know, between presentations. And that's Yeah, and we had a lot of,
2: we were blessed to have a lot of listeners there too, who yeah. we had spent a lot of time talking to in between presentations exactly. and that sort of thing. Exactly. Uh, we also uh, met a man named James A. Willis, who is going to be coming on the show. This guy is hilarious. And we've actually cited him before we even knew him. He, ah. You know the Weird Book series, like Weird Ohio. weird yeah. He was the author of Weird Ohio and Weird Indiana mm. with the guys that created that whole franchise, Mark and Mark. I can't remember their last names. That's right, yeah. Uh, but he was the local expert on Ohio and Indiana. So he was the primary contributor to those two versions of that book. Mm-hmm. He also wrote Ohio's Historic Haunts, ton of other books, He's also a hilarious guy. Yes, he, he and a, tells the
1: spookiest stories with a lot of laughs. Yeah, yeah, with a
2: lot of laughs. And hes I like him, too, because he's generally skeptical. He looks really hard for the mundane explanations of things. Right. But by the same token, he has had some really weird stuff happen to him. And we're going to be having him on our show as well. We actually tweeted about this to tell his story of the Creeper, which I yeah. love to say because there's a couple of reasons. My son loves the Creeper episode of Scooby-Doo. I don't know if you remember that guy. He's got hunched over. And he's like, oh, uh, he, uh. Yeah, so... <laughs> I love that, yeah, and then yeah. also there's Creepers in Minecraft, but anyway. Right. We're going to have him on later this year. Then there's the Haunted Housewives, mm-hmm. who just are an amazing pair of ladies who work together doing ghost hunts, and uh, they make public appearances, and they do speaking appearances, and that sort of thing, and they are guests on tonight's show as well, and we have a really entertaining interview with them, which I very much enjoyed,
1: which we recorded just today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard them actually on Jim's show in the past years. On Jim Harrell's show. Uh, yeah, yeah, which is funny. And, and they've
2: been on Coast to Coast.
1: Yes, no, that, that's kind of the blast about us doing this now is that you hear about these people and then, yeah, I, we had no idea we're going to be interacting with them years from now. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of mind-blowing and a lot of fun. They're just a, a hoot, you know. They have a lot of great energy and they're funny and uh, just really down to earth and tell it like it is, but also very experienced in this field. So we thought it was best to get them in on this rather than just us kind of literally bump around in the dark. Yeah. But first, let's talk to Aislinn because she's going to tell us all about the history of this theater and all the people that are involved with it living and dead. Uh, Yeah, this was a a fun talk with her and she's been working there a long time as
2: you're going to hear. So uh, let's go to the interview. The first thing I guess we should have you do is go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell everybody your name and a little bit about your background.
3: My name is Aislinn Charlton-Dennis and I am a firefighter paramedic I am also an EMS education coordinator. So I um, come from a family that actually doesn't have a ton of public service background, but it's something that I I really enjoy. But I also have always definitely gravitated towards the paranormal. So I can remember um, my grandpa, he would babysit me a lot when I was younger, and I would always watch in the Heat of the Night, Murder, She Wrote, an Unsolved Mysteries with him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And I just loved, uh,
3: loved Unsolved Mysteries. When they re-released it, like, just to see some of the updates and stuff with it was really awesome. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Well, you know, the reason that we wanted to have you on the show was, first of all, we wanted to, you know, we thank you and your mother for hosting the Kent Paranormal Weekend. We had such a great time. It really was an amazing event. And, uh you guys really put a lot into it and uh, we enjoyed being there. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah. No, it was a very welcoming environment and it's really kind of the first time we were ever involved in anything like that. So it was a learning experience for us and just a lot of fun.
3: It was so great to have you guys there. And it's always a little crazy when we're trying to, you know, work with a bunch of the different presenters. And then I got asked to do that presentation or help out with that. So then I had to kind of do that. And then it is a family operated business, so I had to go to the store a couple of times. and was <laughs> trying to do different things, and I have to bartend if there's a bartender, So <laughs> there's a lot going it's on. Kind of, yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's kind of crazy in and out, but um,
2: it did have kind of a grassroots feeling. But that's part of what made it so fun. I think it's more fun the more real they are, the more real the experience is well, for.
3: Everyone. Yeah,
1: it, it had a real community feel. You know,
3: it really is like it's so. Um, you actually probably met a couple of my brothers as well. My parents divorced when I was about eight and my mom remarried and I look like my dad and I'm the only one that looks like my dad. (laughs) Um, It's just kind of cool to just kind of see everybody and check everything out. And it's not flashy, but I love historical things. There's a lot of people that um, volunteer at shows on a regular basis. You really get to kind of know people and um, there's really not a bad seat in, in the house. You could be all the way up, way back in the balcony for anything. And you're just going to have a great show. The acoustics are really cool. And and I love historical buildings. So my house is probably like 120 years old. Oh, wow. And it's just like, they just don't make stuff like that anymore. I was glad that you guys could come.
2: It's funny you should say that because the first line of questions that I wanted to ask you about was the sure. venue for Kent Paranormal Weekend, which is the Kent Stage. Let's start out by explaining what your relationship to the Kent Stage is, as well as your mom's. Can you tell us a little bit about that background?
3: My mom, Rochelle Charlton, and my stepdad, Tom Simpson, own and operate the Kent Stage. And there's some additional partners, but they're the primary operators. So mom does a lot of the support ticketing. She handles a lot of like the bar stock, bar back stuff, and she'll do a lot of hospitality. Tom is primarily in charge of booking so he was actually a roadie and i think a tour manager for some pretty big bands during the 80s and also up till the 90s oh. i can remember being a little kid and reading like metallica's rider <laughs> so <laughs> you know, which is awesome. pretty great right they yeah, were like yeah. very much like we got to get those solo cups specifically gotta right. be read solo cups <laughs> i'm just chuckling about that yeah so it is a smaller stage um originally which is creepy when they had their original fire inspection, when they were going to open it, they were allowed to have 666 occupants. Oh. And that is based off of fire code math. And my mom was like, I don't care if you make it less, but we're not doing it. So I don't know if you saw the maximum occupancy at 663. She was like, just pick a different number. Oh, my <laughs>
2: <laughs> a, you yeah. know what? Just pick a different number. <laughs> oh my God. So
3: I live about two and a half hours away. So I try to get there as as frequently as I can. And I always help with Ghost Walk and also count Paranormal Weekend. So if I come in, a lot of times I'll help her do hospitalities and, and riders and stuff like that. So I kind of not maybe as consistently as, you know, other people that are there. But I'm probably there eight, ten different times a year. So two and a half hours isn't it's not too far. How long has she had the theater? How long have they had it? So they opened in 2002. So the original building was built in 1927 and it was opened as a single, it could either operate as a single screen theater or they would also have live shows. And then in the 1960s, they divided it, which is why like the one, the middle row is like kind of super skinny and there's two main aisleways. They divided it into a two screen movie theater. And then when that closed, they bought the property and remodeled it and turn it back into what it is today. So it's been kind of a growth and evolution where originally they had to kind of like rent a screen. And now they have a permanent screen that they can put up or they still will have different live acts that come in. They do movie premieres, children's theater. There's just a lot of different things that you can see there, which I also think is really cool. They do Rocky Horror.
2: Yeah, I saw that. Are you allowed to bring stuff in?
3: You are. And my mom was actually like, Trying to get ready for kpw i was coming in and they were doing cleanup and they actually just have a leaf blower <laughs> <laughs> it's like the yeah. easiest way to clean all this stuff like all the rice and everything else that people throw they just leaf blow it down to the front
1: and sweep it up that theater though has just a, a long history of traditions and uh, mm-hmm. it started with was it 1927. So some of the first mm-hmm. talkies were shown. That's the right? year the, the, the Jazz Singer, singer came, came out, out with yeah. Al
2: Jolson, which was the first talkie. That was 1927. Also, the year of my favorite science fiction film, or one of them. Yes, I Metropolis. Uh, right? Metropolis, yeah. yeah. Fritz Lang <laughs> came out in 1927 as well.
3: That is one I definitely need to one of these days stun and watch Metropolis. I know I've seen M. Yeah, yeah. Is that also a Fritz Yeah, Lang? that's Fritz Lang as well, yes.
1: And and I believe that theater also had a lot of vaudeville acts that would come on in between. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of the uh, the movie screenings and some of the uh, live music performances.
3: Yeah, so that's why this, the stage was kind of there, and it's still there. So even though they kind of remodeled stuff and changed stuff, that's why the actual physical stage is there. So I don't think most movie theaters, you would find that. Right. Because some things they had to rebuild, and then... You guys got to see most of the back portions of oh, it. Oh, yes, we did. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but you don't realize it probably took me five or six years of consistently going to have a rough map in my head of where everything is, because there's a green room, there's dressing rooms, there's multiple basements that don't connect to each other. Yeah. I don't think you guys got up into the apartments. No. Um, there's an alleyway through part of it. There's so much more to it. But a lot of those are original clearly by the stairways and the incredibly tiny rooms and everything. Those were original to the building because they had a lot
1: of live acts. Right. And I believe, uh, well, one, when we were down in the basement and you were kind of leading the ghost hunt, that section of it, Mm -hmm. you pointed out they still have the original canvas painted backdrop, right?
3: I think actually that's the fire curtain.
1: Oh, I see.
3: Okay. So from that time era, I'm, there have been a lot of historical theater fires. Right. I think the Iroquois fire in, in Chicago, several hundred people died in that. So, And that had to do with the lighting. So even today with modern lighting, those lights are really, really hot. Right. So they had to have flame retardant curtain so that things wouldn't catch fire behind it. Yeah, yeah, that's still around. It's crazy in some of those basements. You'll find props that are probably 40, 50, 60 years old that are just kind of still running around in the building. So there's just a lot of history and just the items that are there and the building itself.
2: So the two-screen theater closed in the late 60s?
3: It was divided into two screens in the 1960s. Oh, divided then. And then it closed in 2002, And that's when they purchased the stage and remodeled it and went and turned it back into what it is
4: today.
2: Okay, so it wasn't vacant for a long time in between your your mom and stepdad getting it. No. We did want to talk to you about some of the major players there and the activities that go on there. And I guess the first question I have for you is, when your mom purchased it, did she know that it had a history of being haunted?
3: No, I think that it was just, this was an opportunity that they both were looking for. Um, My mom and Tom met originally back in the 70s when they were both in high school, and they worked together at um, Blossom, which is one of the big kind of an outdoor theater. Oh. So... They both had that background that was something that they were looking for and that it was like, hey, this is this golden opportunity and they just kind of went for it.
2: That's awesome.
3: Yeah, it was just kind of like great timing and...
2: Takes a lot of courage too to do something like that.
3: And he was working for Kent State at the time. So it's been kind of an evolution over the years, a transition here and there. So they were kind of already here. It kind of happened and it was like, hey, let's,
2: let's do it. Let's go for it. When did you guys start to realize as a family or individually that something was going on there?
3: Pretty much immediately, once the major renovations started, and it just, just seems like every time there's any type of work, and this is an old building with a flat roof. So, um, as my dad always liked to say, there's only two kinds of flat roofs those that do leak and those that will, especially in <laughs> right. Ohio yeah. and, or Northern Ohio
5: sure.
3: uh, with the amount of snow that we get. So, there's usually some type of construction project going on at some point every year, but a major construction project will take that metal wall out and redo things. And that just really seems like it kind of stirs everything up. So that's when the sparkly lady, as mom likes to call it, started to appear. And I never saw it personally, but she and other people witnessed it. And sometimes four and five people at a time would see it. And she just said, it was just this beautiful, it was just feminine, very sparkly, no real other way to describe it. And would just appear up in the balcony area and just really quickly kind of zoom downstage into the doors and, and disappear. Just got like a positive vibe. Hey, we kind of see what you're doing, we kind of like it. Whoa. And um, that was like pretty much from the go.
2: Obviously, I guess if it was mm-hmm. broken in the two theaters, the wall in the middle. That was like a soundproof Mm -hmm. floor to ceiling. That must have been a big ordeal to take that out, right? Because they couldn't have sound bleeding through between the two screens, I imagine. So
3: That was a major project, and that was one of the first projects that they had to do.
2: And so you felt like the sparkly lady seemed like a positive thing that was happening.
3: Yeah. We see it. We like it. We dig it. Hopefully positive for a change, you know. Never any bad thing. And people just were like, this is just amazing. This is totally beautiful. How
2: many people saw her?
3: She said most of the construction crews, so probably ten, twenty different people. Wow! Because I had talked with her last night. Because again, she's got to totally run this whole show, and it was like, hey, if tonight's the night, so I was trying to like make sure I had everything, yeah, accurate for you guys and. I was like, was this something you only saw by yourself? And she was like, oh no, we'd have like a whole crew in there. We were doing all of this stuff. And it was just the kind of sensation where you would just look at the people next to you and you'd be like, did you just see that? Am I losing it? Did we all just see that? Sometimes I almost think that makes it more impressive because you're so... I think so many people think like, oh, this is only going to happen when I'm alone. or I'm only going to have this experience when I'm alone. But when you have a ton of people witness it for paranormal, like five, six people, I think that's you know a lot. It just really feels more real,
0: I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, is she the same apparition that people describe as perhaps one of the dancers that appears in the wings?
3: I know that there is a lady that is generally up in the apartments. Oh. That's named Josephine. So she was one of the long-term residents that lived in the apartments that are above the stage. Not exactly sure what maybe necessarily her job description was, but she sounds like uh, maybe she needed to do what she needed to do, <laughs>
2: <laughs> right? So
3: to kind of make ends meet.
2: Oh, so you're being kind.
3: <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm yeah, being got, very kind. Understood. Okay. <laughs> so I've heard people say they think that she was what they would have called a good time girl. Yeah. Um, So maybe possibly a dancer, but she's usually up in the apartments and that's where people that live there will have different experiences with her. And it's usually just, you know, attention getting stuff. Some people have actually kind of seen her, but it's usually just maybe smell some perfume, see somebody walk by or knocks, things being moved, doors locking and unlocking just not anything malicious, but that's kind of like, oh, hey, it must be Josephine trying to get somebody's attention.
1: Hi, I'm Jazz from San Francisco, and you're listening to Astonishing Legends with Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Now, back to the show. Does anybody live in the apartments above the theater now?
3: Yeah. So there's six apartments upstairs, and I could show you guys a picture. Um, the hallway for me always has this like total borderline like Outlook Hotel Stanley Kubrick <laughs> feel to it. <laughs> wow. Okay.
1: Yeah.
3: Again, it's old. The doors are not standard sizes. They're not necessarily in places that you would think. There's a couple of different skylights to, in it. It's it's a cool hallway. Yeah. It's almost disorienting feeling because it's not just a standard, hey, three story apartment complex that most people live in but there's six apartments up there and five of them are being lived in right now. And the sixth apartment is usually it's run through the Kent stage. So that's actually where we stayed for KPW.
5: Right. Right.
3: And sometimes if they get to certain acts, it'll come through depending on what they request in their rider. And yeah, so they hold it open for some of the different acts to go up there.
2: Now, do you know which unit uh, Josephine lived in? Is there one unit that sees more of her than the other, or is she just kind of all over the upstairs there?
3: She's kind of all over the upstairs because there is usually a waiting list for people to live there. It's a pretty awesome spot. Um, right. They usually just take either grad students, or there's actually a gentleman that's lived there for, I believe, 15 years now.
1: Generally, when there's places with some activity like that, either people dig it and they Mm -hmm. stay there or they are gone pretty quickly.
3: There's been a couple people that were like, yeah, this is not for us, and we're definitely out of here. Goodbye.
1: <laughs> yeah, right.
3: But mom is also like not afraid to just tell people, like, hey, this is an old building, and you've had some things reported by different tenants or whatever, and if that's something that's going to bother you, then you might want to look elsewhere.
2: Right, right.
3: Let's talk about
2: some of the other characters in this place, because it's a veritable Grand Central Station, from what I understand, because I've got... I made a list of all the people I thought were there. And mm-hmm. so far, the two you've mentioned weren't even
1: on my list. Well, it's a huge cast of characters. There's all sorts yeah. of people that have worked there and have come across you know, the stage as well throughout the years. And it seems mm-hmm. some of them have stayed. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about Merle?
3: I actually um, had the pleasure of meeting Merle several different times. When he was alive? And, yes. Okay. When he was alive. <laughs> okay. Merle always did ghost walk. And that's something that I for sure attend every year. Um, I got to see Merle and hang out with him and he just was a great guy. He just was very um, one of those individuals that have reached that point in their life where they're just very calm, very relaxed and like has, has seen enough of the world to not really judge people and just be like, okay, you're doing your thing. Talk to everybody just the same Had a really great storytelling ability so he was the poet laureate of kent he would either do ghost walk um he was the opening act for the kent stage officially and he did a lot of volunteering
1: yeah so he didn't actually work there at the theater he volunteered and was around Mm -hmm. uh, quite a bit and participated in doing the ghost walks right
2: Yes. And how long ago did he pass away? I want to say it's
3: been about five years.
2: So he was a friendly, warm, welcoming presence to everyone at the theater. And so since he has passed, what has convinced you guys that he may still be hanging around from time to time?
3: He had a very specific seat that he liked to sit in, in row M. A lot of times if you're sitting close to that, you just get this really strong smell of coffee. Because he was a coffee man and he was just straight black. And it's very localized and it's only in that one spot. And we had coffee for KPW, but most shows and most of the times it's not going to be that. And that's pretty far away from the lobby. Was this in the back of the house on the left there? Yes, but it's kind of about halfway down on the house left side. That's the main
2: uh, manifestation for him. Are there any other ones?
3: So that's been one that's just a lot of different people have experienced. The strangest thing that my mom had um, happened to her personally, because she was pretty close with Merle. And again, Merle was just kind of a fixture of the community, especially very social. He had given her an actual headshot and mom like almost immediately lost it. (laughs) She would stop in and he would be like, are you ever going to put my picture up? Are you ever going to put my picture up? So that went on for two or three years. And then shortly before he passed away, she had gotten another picture of him and she was like, Hey, I got one of your, you know, I finally have this picture up of you. And he was kind of like, okay, you know, and shortly after he passed away, she had gone into the office and opened a folder because they were getting ready to get abandoned. And Rolf's picture was on top wow. and there was no reason for that to be there. She was like, I didn't put it there. I don't know why it would be there. It should not have been in this folder. Why would it be on top of things? I have been looking for it for three years. And she just was like, okay, all right, Merle, got your picture, picked it up, walked out the door and went out to the framing shop like right then. So that was mom's strongest experience of like, okay,
2: I think Merle wants
3: his picture up.
2: Was that folder, was it writers for all kinds of visiting performers or specifically for a specific guest that was coming?
3: It was just for the specific guest that was coming that evening.
2: Do you remember if it was someone who had been there before or was like a first-time visitor?
3: I don't think that they would have been there. And if they had been there before, those get turned over. Uh So that would have just been what she had set aside for either that day or that week.
2: So technically, that folder is an object that it's only pertinent during the time right up until the guest is about to arrive. And after they leave, it's something that gets filed away or whatever.
3: Yes. She'll print them out and get them ready to go for the show that night. And then after that, there's no reason to keep them. So it's not like they, re- they repeat keep stuff. Interesting.
2: So in theory, that folder would have essentially been new information for a pending guest. And there's no reason that Merle's yep. picture that's been missing three years would have wound up in there.
3: No everybody knew she was looking for it and they will kind of go in and clean and reorganize things from time to time. Couldn't find it. Just don't think Tom or any of my brothers would have been like, here you go. Just going to randomly put it in this folder for you. And nobody said they did it. So that was just an okay moment.
2: Well, so here's one of the things that happened to us was we were in the lobby by the picture of Mm -hmm. Merle That you're
1: referring to. Okay. To set the picture here, or just set the stage, pun intended, is that (laughs) they have photos in the lobby of all the performers, you know, uh, all the famous people who've kind of passed through. And one of them that's kind of prominently displayed toward the doors is Burles. And it's a really nice photo of him. It's a great shot of him. But before we arrived, it's like, you know, we didn't know how uh, much time we would have to poke around or what would be going on. And we've never been on a ghost hunt before, but certainly have seen them and know a little bit about uh, the mechanics of them. But I thought it'd be fun. It's like, well, we should at least get one tool of the trade. And so I told Scott, like, well, here's one easy kind of thing. I'll order an EMF meter, which is an electromagnetic field tester Mm -hmm. for electronics. If people don't know, they're actually not just used for ghosts. That's kind of a secondary use that has made them kind of popular. You'll see them on shows a lot. And, you know, it's for um, if you're kind of testing any uh, rack system of equipment or electronic devices to see if something's causing interference. You can see where there's kind of a leak or a field that's putting out too much of a field and causing interference with other devices. So that's really the intent of it. And the K2 meter is the, the real popular one. You'll see that it's just got lights that go from, I think, green, yellow to red. Ah, uh, depending on the field. So it's just a little device I picked up and and uh, had with me, had never really used anything like that before. And towards the end of the tour, we end up in a lobby. And uh, everyone was talking about Merle's photo and and that kind of the story. Yeah, you and, just your, and your
2: mom was there. Rochelle was yeah. there,
1: telling us the story that you just told. Right to paint the mood there, it's like you know most of the lights are turned off. It's kind of got a well, yeah, a because really you good, guys uh,
2: powered everything down right, for right. the hunt because yeah. everybody's got EMF meters, so you don't want right. to be getting false positives from things that are turned on. And you know, in theory, there shouldn't have been electricity running anywhere around us at that point. We were standing in the dark in yeah. the lobby.
1: I really love the vibe. It's yeah. just kind of a a low light situation and and people are being quiet and very respectful, we're towards the front, which is also a strange thing because you always think of something haunted, like, you know, deep down in the basement. And and certainly there were areas like that, but this is close to the door where Merle's photo is. And I walk up to it and suddenly the meter goes crazy. Well, here's the thing.
2: Your mom was telling the story about the picture Mm -hmm. and she literally was like, and then it turned up in this folder and we just heard this. (laughs) <laughs> like that. And I was like, Forrest, what is that? He reaches in his jacket pocket. It was inside his jacket. Pulls it out. The thing is pegged. Yeah, pegged. It was and nice. we're standing maybe... I would say, 16, 18 inches away from Merle's picture. Hearing the story, and then at that moment, that's when it
1: went off the charts. Well, here's what's interesting about it, because people will say, like, well, it's the outlets, of course. Like, stuff's giving off electromagnetic fields all the time. It's just Mm -hmm. picking up something. I don't have a lot of experience with it, but what I can tell you is that the closer you put it to something, it's like, you know, imagine a Geiger counter, for those who don't know. It's like the closer you get it to something that's you know, it'll start to yeah. ramp up. This thing, I would put it towards different things and you get no response. You can put it right next to a light. You'll get a little bit of a reading. You take it away, you get, mm-hmm. it goes down to zero. There was really nothing around there that was giving off that much of a signal. This device I have, the screen light's up red once it gets past a certain point and it starts beeping. And so you start holding it to different things. And so it's not like there's one spot in the wall where there's, you know, maybe an exposed wire that's giving off a signal. It just seemed to be kind of random. And it was only around Merle's photo. And then after a while it stopped. Yeah. And it wouldn't happen again. Yeah. So he he came in to pop in to say like, yep, that's my photo. Yeah. (laughs)
2: And And I I told Forrest, I was like, we don't have any control information here. We don't know how this thing works. We haven't been working. So now for the record, just so our listeners know, and, and you know, as well, he's taking it everywhere. Like, every t- everywhere he's, like, we're the lunch, he's whipping it out there, and he's, like, I'm checking the salt shaker. Well, like, no, you know, like, come on. It's, but, no, but, here's, but, but no, it's yeah. good. I think you should do that.
3: I just picture you as, like, Bones from Star Trek. Yeah, with yeah. yeah. so so a tricorder. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: here's – because yeah. this is yeah. the thing that, you know, of course you tell somebody that story or just in general. Or, like uh, – these two ladies we know who do all kinds of YouTube videos trying different things. And one of them was a ghost hunt on the Queen Mary and they had one on the bed Mm -hmm. and this thing was going off repeatedly in kind of like a metered pattern. So, you know, they asked a question. It's like, well, if someone's here ping 13 times, and it went up to 12 and then it stopped, which was really kind of creepy. But what the deal is that it's, it was pinging full red. And then of course, you know, in some of the comments are people like, well, it's just because it's near the laptop and that is true. If you get it right close to the laptop or with a keyboard, the reading will go up. Close but, like a couple of inches. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, the big thing about it, because it was going off in other areas of the theater as well, in weird spots where nothing was happening. There wasn't a motor running. There was no lights or anything. Mm-hmm. Just in certain spots. And I was telling Scott, he's like, well, you know, you got to get a baseline then. So check other things around there. It's like, yeah, you got to Which he's still doing daily all Well, because, Scott, because <laughs> Scott is like, <laughs> oh, you know, again, you're like, well, maybe you're just near." your... The electrical panel you yeah, know that d- down below right. and i say well look you can look at it right here i can hold it close to the panel and you get a, a reading of 0.01 or 0.10 but then suddenly i'll hold it in an area where there's nothing and it goes up to 0.5 and that meter starts flashing and so something's going on which is weird and maybe it's just a passing field but it's unusual. So basically the reason, the reason I was kind of holding around different things up, like his machine rack where he's got his DVD player and all that. And, right. and uh, the whole thing's humming. It's in a vented mm-hmm. closet because it gets hot. But just in the general area, like a foot away from stuff, it doesn't go off. You have to hold it really close to like where the power unit is. Yeah. Like an inch away. Then to it goes. Off. Yeah, exactly. So that was my point about Merle's photo is that for some reason it pinged for a few minutes and then nothing. It went away
3: you're just trying to see if you can make something reproducible. So I totally get that. This is the third ghost hunt that I've been on in the building. And there are a couple of spots that we know we can't shut every single fuse down Right. Um, right. by law. The exit lights have to be on if somebody's in the building. So we can shut like 95% of them down. When you guys were in the basement, it was like, Hey, if you get a reading off of this one line of conduit, because there is a jimmy johns next door so the power runs from the main edison switch through that conduit so we we can't turn that off so that's why right. like, hey we'll tell you hey this is a hot spot there's another one that is in house right about halfway down i'm not exactly sure what's there but every time and it's also consistent and it's right. within a couple of feet you turn on it goes up to about three you get a couple of feet away it goes away so it's not like a sudden spike, and then it doesn't just suddenly go away.
1: Right. So I can rule this out, talking to somebody who knows the theater, we're broken up into groups of six and taken on to different areas. So no, you know, there's not 20 people all bunched up in one little area. Right. We're traveling to different spots that have some activity. During the middle of the tour, I was with Scott and our group, they are down in the room that was for catering, and it's kind of a small room down mm-hmm. the end of the, uh, end of the stairs. Technically, this is like right under, it seems like it's maybe almost
2: right under the center of the stage is that right
3: i think it's actually under the green room
1: oh okay there's a spot there before you start to make that last flight of steps to go down to where the catering was that spot is where it started to go crazy and lasted for a while but it wasn't seemingly consistent you know what i'm saying like you don't point it to a spot on the wall and you get the same reading each time that's why I was delayed getting down to the group. They thought I was missing, and so I just hear this beeping in my pocket. I forgot I had it on. It's like, what what is going off? And I look at it, and the screen is red, and uh, it's getting a really high reading. Oh, you were still upstairs. Yeah, I was still upstairs. Yeah, um, you know, downstairs here is where the electricity conduits are, and it's like, well, I'm I wasn't near there. And again, if something's running, I would expect it to have the consistent reading. You oh, it, I thought you, you were coming near. down the
2: steps. Okay. No, not yet. No, yeah. no.
1: So that was before, that's why I was late. Well, I'm still upstairs because this is kind of uh, making me question things now, just the behavior of this, because it was so weirdly spiking.
3: So you would have been pretty close to where Woody passed away. Ah. But to be fair, Scott is right. There is a main Edison, which is the power company for right. the area. There's a main Edison switch that's there. That's a door that like nobody at the stage can actually open. It controls power for that portion of the entire block.
1: Yes. Yeah. So it's pretty- I'm gonna
3: say you <laughs> could be either way, but yes, you would actually be pretty close to where Woody passed away.
1: Ah, okay. Well could you tell us who Woody was then?
3: So Woody was probably a very long-term employee. I believe he started working there in the 60s when it became a movie theater and he he did a couple of different things um i think he was a projectionist i know for sure he was a, he was a caretaker for the building and he lived in an apartment above the stage so it was just kind of his favorite place to be he was another fixture of the kent community at the time he had a chronic lung issue and on christmas day of the early 90s i can't remember exactly which year He actually passed away in the green room Oh, because if he was having some lung problems, sometimes he would just, if he was working in the theater at the time, if he didn't think that he could make it all the way upstairs, because there's no real direct route to the apartment. Tell me about it. There's no direct route to anything. (laughs) <laughs> you guys cut right. If I wouldn't have told you, you would never know there were apartments there. Yeah. So if he didn't think he could make it kind of out the building and up an additional set of stairs to get the, to the apartments, he had a cat that was in the green room and that's where he just laid down. And I don't know if early 90s, if he wouldn't have had a cell phone. I have no idea if there would have been a phone anywhere close to him.
5: Probably not. If he
3: couldn't get help or he just thought, you know, some people just think, well, I'm just going to lay down. And that was not to be that night.
2: So has Woody appeared or do people, what kind of encounters have there been with him?
3: So a couple of years ago, we had a a really bitterly cold winter. So they were going in to check the building because there are periods during the year where things are a little bit slower and a little bit busier. So they don't run a lot of power sometimes they have to kind of go in and actually check the building. Cause it's a huge building. It's a ton to try to heat that. So she'd kind of kind of gone in to check on things and she got up to into the green room and she was standing at the stairs to go down and she could hear water running. Mm. So she thought, Oh my God, I think the pipes burst. And just as she was going to go down to check it out, she felt a pair of hands basically grab her from the back and push her, and she's like, "I feel like if you were watching me, it would have looked like a cartoon, hmm. because it was I was walking faster than I normally would. It was just I really felt like I got pushed all the way back up out, out the stage, down the ramp, all the way up to the theater, and those that didn't stop until I got out into the main lobby. And so what she had found because this is a giant concrete building, is that my stepdad had actually been trying to call her to let her know, like I turned." heaters on to try to keep the pipes from breaking because I knew it had been so cold. So that basement was energized and there was water running. So she very easily could have died. Mm. Wow. How long ago did this happen? This was about five or six years ago. We had two consistently very, very bitterly cold winters where we broke snow records.
2: So she felt like something shoved her out, like back up to the lobby.
3: Yep. I said, who do you think it was? I'm like, do you think it was Woody? Because it's just, again, he's never bad. He's never malicious, but he's just a caretaker of the building. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what my mom's role currently is.
5: Right.
3: So I think, you know, they are kindred spirits. And I think he was just like, Mm-mm, you don't need to be down there. It's going to be just fine. Cell so reception in there has gotten a little bit better. There's certain portions where you'll get no service at all. But even a couple of years ago, that was really sketchy. So there would have been no other real way for her to get a message. And so I always say, hey, thanks, Woody.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, that room then, there was a water leak near some of the heaters. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. So he had put some heaters down there to try to keep the pipes from breaking.
1: Yeah. They were plugged
3: in space heaters. That was just not enough. So shout out to Woody, man. Shout out to Woody.
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to say yeah. again, uh, that's who was getting my meters to go off. To me, it seemed, uh, again, inconsistent with something regularly putting out that kind of a signal, mm-hmm. uh, which you can test with anything around your house. So Scott was saying like, well, yeah, I'm not putting that off the table. It, it could have been something electrical because we're in that kind of area, but it just seemed odd because it came on suddenly and then it went away suddenly. Kind of like with Merle in the lobby. There's honestly too many people to go through. We're going <laughs> to... Too many too, <laughs> too many many spirit spirits. characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're going to ask
2: you about one of the last ones that we had been experienced with on the ghost hunt, which would be...
1: Mm-hmm. Again, to kind of describe how the ghost hunt works. We're going around to different parts of the theater. And one of the last ones that we ended our tour part on was in the upper balcony this would be uh, a house right yeah. uh, up way up in the corner. For some reason, I love those kind of like little nook spaces. That's uh, where we're going to uh, find forest yeah. when the time comes. You'll <laughs> well, be back in the <laughs> well, corner well, I don't know because I think it's occupied by somebody else, isn't it? Is, is yeah. that where the shadow yeah. man
3: lives? Yes. And that is the one I can personally attest to. Really? You cross the alleyway and you get into that balcony portion and it just feels very much like something is there that does not. It's like, this is my spot. And I don't want you in it. Mm. Like, to me, it's always felt very not welcoming, and almost like maybe you know those are typically even in a sellout show, those are going to be the last seats that'll sell. Right. And I feel almost like that presence is like this is supposed to be the chill spot. You know, this is yeah. where people usually aren't here. Where this is why I'm here. Yeah. So yeah. you need to get out of here.
1: And it's just not friendly. Is it described as being uh, looking like a shadow, like the shadow of a of a man, or something that's uh, that kind of hovers yeah. back up, up up in that corner,
3: blacker than black? If that makes any sense at all, because again, oh, yes. unless yeah, we've a heard show, that
1: we've
2: heard that a lot of times, actually.
3: Unless there's a show, the lobby lights or the cleaner doing something, which really is not most of the time. Right. The lights are off in the entire back portion of the building. And yes, there's ambient light from the lobby, but you're talking about two very small windows. Mm -hmm. So once you get into the lobby, if you need to do something, you have to have a flashlight, and it doesn't matter what time of day it is. Right. You get back there, and it's just like, okay, you know what? I can probably do this later.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, you know, I sat back there with one of the EMF meters, not the one that Forrest bought, Mm -hmm. but one that uh, one of the teams had and let me borrow. I went up there to the very back seat in the back corner, the mm-hmm. most cornermost seat. And I yeah. sat down. How was right was upper balcony? Yeah. yeah very like top corner. To quote Spinal Tap, none more black, none more. <laughs> there was none more seat yeah. I could be in yeah. and still be in the theater. Right. And I sat back there in the dark. Everybody was talking about their experiences because this was near the end. And I took that mm-hmm. meter out, which was a standard K2 meter. I was just waving it around, trying to find out if there were any fields up there. And when I leaned forward, there was a seat that was catty corner to me, diagonal from me, one row Mm -hmm. up in the second to last row. And whenever I got it near that seat, it would creep up. It wasn't pegging, but it would creep up to about the second or third Mm -hmm. light. The third light would just be fluttering. I was able to bring this meter back and forth to this chair for a good, I would say, 10 minutes. And Uh when I would move it away from that chair, just one seat over in either direction or back to the row I was in the meter would drop down to nothing.
1: Yeah. And so I had it this, was like something was in the chair. I had a similar experience because Scott was up there first. I joined the group uh, just a few minutes after that, getting way up into that corner there. And I had my own meter and I noticed the same thing too. It didn't make the screen go red and wasn't pegging or going off like it did in some of the other spots. But I did notice there was an increase, for whatever reason, right in that seat. Yeah. It wasn't large, but it's like, it's, this is weird that it's just this seat. Right. And here's the other thing. Eventually, it left. Yeah. It stopped, right. It stopped doing that yeah. for and both our meters. It, it, and
2: nothing was happening at all up there yeah. in that corner. And I was not having any kind of bad feelings. <laughs> I wasn't afraid in the corner. I wasn't, none of that. But I did feel like something was there that went away. And then I start thinking about the electricity and I was no, there's no power. I can't figure out what would be producing that from an electrical standpoint in terms of, because there was no circuitry there in the seats, maybe on the back wall, there was maybe some conduit or something, but this was in front of me. So that was a bizarre experience. And that was the area that you guys described as as having that feeling. So it it just made me wonder... (laughs) He was wonder wonder is a good word for me right yeah, now yeah yeah no he,
1: he had some personal uh, feeling experiences i i didn't feel any different anywhere at yeah. all in the theater i did notice that at least that the emf meter and also we had some activity with an evp upstairs in the dressing rooms yes which we're going to be talking about oh no. right yeah. and again a little bit of a dowsing rod action but you know uh, I, was, nothing, I was i was <laughs> a little sketchy on that
2: was, i'm still well my <laughs> well, jury's out yeah. on the dowsing right right although
1: they were super fun
2: For you, what is the absolute craziest paranormal event that you've had in the theater?
3: Just, uh, you know, open the door, kind of look up. And I think I'm at the point now where I just try to not even look up in that corner. Mm. Because if you just, you ever just see like this back of the black thing, it's like, nope, goodbye, I'm out (laughs) of here. That is just absolutely plenty for me. Yeah. To be clear, it's more of a like, it's not welcoming or inviting, but I've never felt like it was malicious. If that makes any sort of sense, it's just kind of like, hey, alone. this is my quiet spot. You need to get out of here.
2: Is that the spirit that you guys refer to in the theater is grumpy?
3: Yeah. So Shadow Man is like when he appears. But again, I just, it's just not welcoming. So mom sometimes calls him grumpy Gus.
4: <laughs> she is <laughs> a mom. Gus.
2: Yeah, That's of perfect. course. Uh, mom. What would you say to people? I always try to ask, you know, for the people who are listening. Oh, this is a bunch of bunk. This is all hokum like what would you say to people if they said, you guys are just making this up, trying to get more people to come into the Kent stage. You tell everybody it's haunted, just like people do with hotels that aren't necessarily haunted, that kind of thing. Uh Or conversely, well, I mean, it's not really haunted, but you guys are just seeing things and you feel like it is. You're imagining some of it. And what would you say to people that would posit those questions to you?
3: First of all, I have to say that I think the first episode I listened to, you guys did was the Shadow People episode. (laughs) Yeah. I think when you guys, had said talking about Bigfoot and it was like, for some people it's never going to be the camera's too clear yeah, and that can't be real. And then for some people what's too blurry, it can't be real. Yeah. yeah. And I think really for some people it will never be enough unless it personally happens to you.
2: Yes. I'm glad you said that. Cause that's part of what tonight's show is going to be about for me. Frankly,
3: I've definitely had a lot of experiences over my life. And you know, I don't know whether it's just genetic or, I don't know if it's just maybe because you're open to it or is it both because your mom was open to it? you you know what I mean? Something like that. I wouldn't ever claim to be a psychic at all, but I've had enough experiences where it's just like, I can't discount this. And additionally for me, in some ways, it can be really difficult to talk about it because there are times where I've had things happen to me. And I think, am I, am I losing my mind? You know, sure. or I'll tell people and I'll go, you're going to think that I'm not. And I think that's a pretty, it's usually good for me, like a litmus test for where people are at, because if it's a really genuine experience, sometimes it's hard to put it into words. And then everybody thinks, oh, this is going to be amiable horror and all this other stuff. But I don't have an explanation for this. Then it's like, am I going into some fugue state? and like miss? (laughs) you know, you just ask yourself all these questions and you're like, oh God. Because if you don't believe you're not, necessarily ever gonna believe yeah yeah well put but i also think you have to be careful because if you all oh, you really want it you can really over interpret things like oh yeah. i don't watch like a ton of tv really and i don't watch a ton ton of paranormal shows but sometimes i'll be listening to evps and what they think they say and i'm like i think you're really reaching there <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> that's yeah. how i felt about yeah. them <laughs> to be honest with you are there some people that come to these events because they really want to experience something? Absolutely. And I think that's what's kind of great about Kent paranormal weekend and ghost walk both because that kind of gives people a place to come in and know that they're not going to be judged and kind of to talk about things. Cause it can be really comforting if, if you've ever had something happen like this to finally hear from somebody else, you know, I'm not the only one, but there's also people that look at that and go, I don't want anything to do with that. And that's okay. So I think when people go like, hey, this is a marketing tactic or it's a marketing ploy, you can believe that if you want to, but there's just as many people that go, this isn't for me.
1: I had one question that you had made some mention of Native American burial mounds that are nearby. Uh-huh. Do you know if anything about the property that the theater sits on, if there's anything special about it or ancient?
3: I did do a little cursory research. Uh,
1: <laughs> the no name's Shang. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Of course.
3: There were multiple tribes that were in the area and the mound that's at Towner's Mound is from the Hopal culture.
1: Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah um, we've talked about that. Yeah.
3: Which that mound, if you don't know what it is, it might not be as impressive as the great serpent mound or some of the other ones that are around in Ohio. Right. It really is almost like a, an, an additional hill I don't know that it's actually a burial ground for human remains, but they did excavate it and find a bunch of artifacts. I think pottery and um, arrowheads and different things like that, that property in general, though portions of it are actually owned by um, the city of Akron. Hmm. It's part of the water supply and by the mound is Lake Pippin, which is a pristine glacial lake. Mm -hmm. So It's just totally undeveloped. It's really wild and natural. So, there's been a lot of travel and activity through that area. The Cuyahoga River is within like a block and a half of the stage. And that portion of the Cuyahoga also has the canal locks near it. Yeah. Those were built in the 1830s and 40s. There was a rail yard there. Um, John Brown lived in Kent for a while.
2: Well, I'll be John Brown.
3: Yeah. Like, he actually was partners, he was business partners with Zanias Kent who was the father of the man Kent is actually named after. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that have gone on in the area. So it's been, I believe, inhabited by Europeans since the 1790s-ish.
2: We just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us your time tonight. We really appreciate it.
3: It was great talking to you guys. It was great having you guys come out. I'm glad that you guys had a uh, good experience, and hopefully next year, bigger and better. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Man, yeah.
2: Well, thanks a lot and uh, have a nice evening. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys.
1: Well, that was a lot of fun chatting with her, especially uh, after some time had passed, uh, like a week, you know, since we've been there. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, it's kind of a whirlwind. There's a lot of activity.
2: It is. And I, you know, one of the things about producing tonight's show for me was I'm a little bit melancholy about getting to know people after we've left.
1: Yeah. Like, I wish. (laughs) I know.
2: The conversations that we had, I wish we could have had them while we were there. But it was a whirlwind trip. And especially when you're going from Los Angeles to Ohio, the travel days are full days. We basically flew in on Friday, went to a Seth Breedlove's movie. We mentioned him earlier, to give him credit, he is a director of several really cool documentaries about various cryptids, right. uh, including the Mothman, right. and we're going to have him on the show too. We really yeah. enjoyed talking to him.
1: Yeah, and, his production uh, company is Small Town Monsters, yes. I believe. And, yeah, and so you got to check their yeah. stuff
2: out. you got to check it out. They've done several movies. We bought the entire collection while we were there. <laughs> we're going to binge it. Yeah, yeah we're going to binge it. I wish we could have more time to hang out with everybody, but it was a Tight schedule, so yeah.
1: But well, Aislinn's there. She's kind of also helping run the theater with yes. her mom while it's happening. And like she said, she'll step in and you know ten bar she'll and get, her stepdad too. Uh, yeah, or, yeah. They all run it together, I guess. And That's right. It's a family affair. It is and, a family business, and uh, so she's running around, but she's loaded with a lot of great information.
2: Yeah, and, and uh, her interview is actually cut down a fair amount. We have a lot of additional stuff from her. So if you're one of our patrons at patreoncom slash legends, which is another way to uh, support the show. If you go there, we're going to be posting some other material from her that we recorded, including when I asked her about being a paramedic and any sort Mm -hmm. of paranormal or interesting experiences that she had encountered as a paramedic, and she had some interesting stories. She also told a really great ghost story, yeah, which is so good. I think we're going to save it. We were going to put it on Patreon, but we've actually decided to save it because we're starting to stockpile these shorter ghost stories to come out with episodes that are like collections from listeners. Yeah, and uh, that one definitely in the category, so we're going to sit on that one for a while, but you guys will enjoy it. When it comes out. So go to Patreon, though, if you do want to hear more of her interview. There were a few ghosts that we didn't get to.
1: No, uh, yeah, we couldn't talk about them all. We uh, couldn't.
2: There were so many, and yeah. that's crazy. There's a ghost there named Silas mm-hmm. who supposedly worked down... In the basement, stoking
1: the furnace, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I mean, he, he was basically, the you know, the building maintenance guy and uh, kept the boiler heated and stoked the fires. You know, it gets very cold there. Yeah. Uh, and pipes will freeze and burst, yeah. <laughs> as we've seen. But uh, yeah, he was kind of a fixture there for many years and a, a known guy just basically helping out, but kind of in the, in the lower depths of the theater. He was, you know, from Africa and very poorly treated. This was,
2: you know, I, I'm not sure exactly when his time was there, but I think it was in the... Well, when it opened, it opened in 1927.
1: Mm-hmm. and um, it, I think it was probably the early 30s yeah. to, to mid-30s. You know. Yeah, and
2: if you believe any of this at all, in yeah. terms of his spirit, they get a sense from him that he doesn't really come upstairs. He's oh, It's yeah. like he's afraid. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I might have had that conversation with Rochelle when you weren't around, but uh. they've been going out of their way to try to make his spirit feel welcome anywhere he wants to go right. in the theater, but it's interesting. And then there was another one. There was a little girl named Alice Ann. Yeah in the basement somewhere that we did not encounter. You're going to hear all about what happened to us on tonight's show when we right. did the ghost hunt there. And then also they mentioned a John Doe, which an, I... An I unknown. Know, an unknown yeah. that died in one of the rooms that where we did some dowsing, actually. So oh, right. You'll right. be hearing about that later. Mm-hmm. But And speaking of the dowsing, we should mention the couple that came there, the North Canton paranormal detectives, Jeff... And Susie Eastman uh, yeah. came and hosted that part of the ghost hunt, which, again, we're going to be talking more about here in a little bit with the Haunted Housewives. But we went for 30 minutes to different sections of the theater and would try to get into those sections and experience a certain thing, whether it was an electronic voice phenomenon or then we went to into it. And so we went into this room called Catering, which is a skinny room under the theater. And Jeff and Susie Eastman were in there. I want to read this from their web page. North Canton Paranormal Detectives, or NCPD for short, is a group of like-minded individuals dedicated to investigating and researching unexplained paranormal phenomena. We use the most current techniques and equipment to obtain evidence of life after death. We assist with public ghost tours and conduct investigations at both historical and private locations. As customary... We never charge for our services, yeah. uh, which is great. And in the room that we were in with them, they brought these dowsing rods, and they had all kinds of fun to- they ghost did, toys yeah, that right. we got to play with. Recorders,
1: An- a, a ghost box, which is, a, I guess, a voice emulator of yeah, sorts. Yeah, this thing is called the Ovilus
2: 2. I haven't looked it up. I have a feeling it's expensive, uh, <laughs> because it somehow it draws words out
1: of the ether. And so it's got a vocabulary stored in it, and the words just come out. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Silas here, before I forget. yeah. One of the words that popped out was Africa.
2: Yeah, and that was out of the blue. That was a little strange. So, I mean, it was saying words about every, I would say, one or two words a minute. And we were in that room for about 35 minutes. So I would say it it shelled out about 60 words. Mm -hmm. And most of them we couldn't make any connection with. But I did think there were no other countries or cities or anything listed except for Africa. And at the time, I didn't know about Silas. Right, right. We were like, Africa, that's weird. And maybe 20 minutes later, we heard this whole story about Silas. Mm -hmm. And in that room we were in, when Africa came up on the ghost box, we were just uh, right around the corner from the area where the furnace was, where Silas used to work. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch. Can't say a whole lot about it. But (laughs) those guys were very generous with their time, and and they let us do some dowsing. And so I was actually filmed doing the (laughs) dowsing by this really great couple that we met there, Roger and Jill, who are paranormal investigators as well. Yeah. And also creators of some really cool paranormal apps. Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, we'll have links to
2: their stuff in our show notes. But Roger had brought an infrared camera, so there's this infrared footage of me. Dousing. so And well, we're, pu- thing, we're putting uh, that on Patreon as well for people who want
1: to see it. Uh, yeah, well, it's not all that remarkable for what it's worth. <laughs> well, it's, on that I'm regard... I'm just as bald in infrared. <laughs> what was cool, though, is uh, Jeff and Susie had dowsing rods that were like neon. It wasn't neon, but they were LED lighted. Yeah. Uh, very, you know, attractive looking. Like one I think was green. Yeah. One set was fluorescent uh, pink. And so they show up really well. Yeah, in the dark. In infrared. Yeah. yeah. And so it's easy to see. I think that's part of the reason because... Uh, Again, you've seen this on ghost hunting shows. Everything's green and people have black eyes. Yeah. I guarantee it wasn't that creepy, but what was interesting is that I tried it and did get some responses, but they're slow. So it's like I'm holding the rods as best and still as I can on the table, trying not to move or influence them. And I got to say they move, but it's not very dramatic. So, you know, you could say cross the rods for yes, or spread them apart for no, and uh, they seem to move, but it's again, it's not very conclusive. I just, for me, I, mean, I so. have to say, I want to believe in
2: dowsing rods, but yeah. that particular experience, I'm going to have to quote Dippers' sister on Gravity Falls, <laughs> Mabel, who would say, "I'm putting on my skepticals. So <laughs> I don't there know. You go. Yeah, well, I I was for because it's stuff, like if though. you tilt them at all, yeah, they swing,
1: and you can't hold your hands perfectly. I don't know. You know, people, even that were on the tour with us in our group, shout out to Noah and Garrett, because what I loved about them is they were a little skeptical. They were pretty incredulous. But, but, but yeah. freaked out a little. Cause, yeah. Because they did get some questionable responses. So, you know, and they were wondering like, well, I don't know how these work. You know, I'm, I'm, especially and I was saying, so, I'm, you know.
2: I have to wonder, I'm so skeptical that I'm wondering if I was shutting it down because I was like, I'm, I don't know
1: about this. Exactly. That's yeah. another thing to look at. But for other uses where you're finding solid, thi- well, solid or liquid, like f- for water, there are a lot of well diggers that still use a dowsing rod. Yeah, and it can be a, a green willow, a Y shaped sprig, and you uh, you kind of hold that up differently, and the the twig or the the Y shaped stick will point down when there's yeah. water. There's companies um, that do it professionally. We've said this before. Dan Blankenship with Oak Island, he found borehole 10x with it. Yeah, with dowsing. So I've heard of uh, soldiers in Vietnam using coat hangers to find landmines. Yeah, now I'd be a little cautious. About that, but yeah. you know that's one of the stories I'd heard, and uh, and also precious metals. So it can be found and used. That you know whatever is at play there can be used. For other things. But I here, know there are yeah. well companies in North Carolina, I know for a fact,
2: that yeah. use dowsing to, oh, yeah. to find water for wells. No,
1: it gets laughed at, but people actually find stuff with it. Now, yeah. whether it's a you professional can, service. Exactly. But whether you can communicate... But I was not,
2: I don't know what was happening. Yeah. Well, yeah.
1: let's see. Well, the way this is going to go, folks, is that Scott, he will dramatically have... Uh, An idea once the experience has happened to him. Yeah, which you'll hear a little bit about something like that tonight. It does cement itself into your belief system, let's Well,
2: let's let's talk about the Haunted Housewives, because we're going to go to their interview now, and this was just such a fun interview. These two ladies have been ghost hunting and working together for several years now. Their names are Teresa Argy and Kathy Weber. They've been ghost hunting together for years and years now. So they do ghost hunts, they're authors, they do speaking engagements, they've been on coast-to-coast, as we said a little bit earlier. They've been on TV numerous times, and talking to them today, we came to realize how much more we really need to be hanging out with them. I actually want to read from their about page at their website, hauntedhousewives.com. We educate, we amuse, we investigate, we ponder. We're two independent creative women who look beyond what convention might dictate in the ever-changing world of paranormal investigation. We delve deep into the history that shapes the situation that leads to the haunting. We are known to operate outside the realm of what is currently popular or acceptable while applying our own distinctive investigative techniques. Enlisting many combined years of experience, the haunted housewives Teresa Argy and Kathy Weber listen carefully as you chronicle your current situation. We will diligently research your historic and present-day property, expertly investigate your paranormal claims and activity, and pursue a creative solution when requested there's more on that but it's, it's pretty fascinating they've been doing this a long time once we got to know them and talk to them, you found out just how at peace they are with the whole process. I do want to say we had a few technical issues at the beginning of this interview. So you're going to hear a lot of dog barking at the beginning. We did get that resolved. (laughs) We left some of it in because we wanted to get that information out. There is some environmental noise because basically we had to call them both. They were both at home when we contacted them both wearing headsets. And there's a little bit of environmental noise coming in, but it improves as the interview goes on. And there's a A lot of really good information in it. So write it out. You're going to be glad that you did. Okay, let's get to the interview. Uh, So we are on with the Haunted Housewives. They're coming to us from Ohio. And we wanted to have these guys on the show because we met them at the Kent Paranormal Weekend. And they took us on a ghost hunt. And so before we get into that, we did want to talk about that particular ghost hunt. But first, we'd like to introduce you to our listeners. So can you tell us a little bit about yourselves, how you met, how long you've been doing this, and and that sort of thing?
4: How we met. I love telling this story. This is Teresa. Once upon a time... (laughs) There was this bored housewife ghost hunter from Cleveland, Ohio, who got involved with a ghost hunting team. Uh And this ghost hunting team didn't do a whole lot of ghost hunting, but they were involved with a little bit of historical research. And they did a fundraiser with this lady from the east side called the Ghost Lady. And um, I was very intrigued by this. So when this ghost hunting team kind of stopped ghost hunting completely. Yes. (laughs) I got in touch with Kathy. And the way I did that was I basically stalked her at her business. She had a regular business, a retail shop. And I showed up and she's like, "Uh, okay, who are you and why are you bothering me? And I was trying to get her to ghost hunt with me since my team had kind of disbanded. They had done a fundraiser with her that I was intrigued with, and I really wanted to get involved with this historical aspect of fundraising and mashing that with the ghost hunting. And I wanted her to come ghost hunt with me, and she had no desire, which I thought was weird because she had this other business called the Willoughby Ghost Walk. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't understand. You did a fundraiser with my team, and you have this ghost walk. And she's like, I'm a historian. I'm a storyteller. I'm not into ghost hunting. Go away, crazy lady. And I think (laughs) I went on the ghost hunt once, twice. I don't know how many times I kept coming to the ghost walk and showing up. And finally, she just had had enough. And the restraining order eventually wore off. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, okay, fine. And so I took her to this little place we have here in Ohio called the Mansfield Reformatory. Oh, yeah and she was hooked, and we have been together ever since.
1: That's a great story. Was there something that happened on that first Mansfield trip that was so shocking or cemented the friendship, or was there something about it that made you guys want to keep doing it?
4: Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, Mansfield is an amazing place, and anybody who's never been there, I highly recommend it, but what I thought was weird because things were happening on the ghost walk that I took with Kathy, oh. and I got physically ill when we got very close to one place on the ghost walk. And I think she thought I was drunk.
5: (laughs) (laughs) She probably was. It
4: It was really nutty. But when we went to Mansfield, yeah, absolutely. I mean, things happen there all the time. Kathy, was that when we heard the disembodied voice, right? That was the one thing that happened, right? Right. We did hear a disembodied
6: voice. It was at the end of the night. We had put away all of our equipment. We were on our way back to... Um, see who was left, because there was only maybe six people left in the whole prison. As we were walking, we came to a hallway, and we heard a woman crying out. And we both looked at each other, and, and she said, did you have your recorder? And I'm like, no, everything's put away. So we went in search of this phantom woman and never found anything. But it was a very powerful and profound experience. Oh, wow. What did the voice say?
4: It sounded like a woman crying, like she was in pain. A moan. very Yeah, like moaning, like very, very sorrowful. And what was interesting about that is you don't expect, first of all, to hear a woman's voice like that in a male prison. But we did connect that to a story from Mansfield. And we believe that we know whose voice we heard. So we kind of put this together. And other things happened that night, but that mm. was... The most profound thing. And it was right near the area. It was in the superintendent's house, and it was in an area of the prison that away from where the cells are. But we believe that that was the cry of Helen Glackey, who was the wife of a former warden in Mansfield who died, had a mysterious accident, and passed away, not in the prison, but while she was living in the prison. Kathy and I both believe that, It was her cry that we heard. And in subsequent visits to the prison, we have had other interactions with what we believe to be the spirit of Helen Glackey.
2: Oh, that's fascinating. By the way, we did hear you on Jim Harold's show. It was so great. We hadn't met him before. We really enjoyed meeting him at the Paranormal Weekend this past weekend or whatever. But I know you've been on there a couple of times. We heard you on Paranormal Podcast number 381, which was back in 2015. And you guys were on again in 2017. You were talking a little bit about your point of view with regard to the what spirits actually are. But first, how did you get hooked up with Jim?
4: Jim is awesome. We love Jim. The way that we actually hooked up with Jim Harold, I'd known about Jim and his podcast for years. Anybody who's really been into the paranormal for any amount of time probably knows who he is and his podcast because he's been around for so long. Jim contacted us after one of our television appearances, I believe, I think it was after we were on... Paranormal Challenge. And I would admired his work and I'd listened to it. So I was really thrilled when we heard from Jim. Come to find out, I think I live a mile away from him. Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, Because I knew he had like an international audience and I had no idea where he was based in, but um, he's actually local. But one time he had us on after Paranormal Challenge. And actually, I was on with Jim once before, not with Kathy. I believe I was on with my co-author from my first book, My first interview with Jim was from them. We've been on the show a few times. But yeah, he contacted us after one of our TV appearances. And because we're local, it's kind of nice. We kind of have that connection where we're both from the same area. Sure. Once I met him in person, I would see him everywhere, like the grocery store, the pizza parlor, the (laughs) bank. It's like, you know, I mean, I I had no idea. I thought he was out of like Los Angeles or New York or something. So it's kind of neat. But he has been a huge supporter of us. Mm-hmm. So we absolutely love him.
2: Let me ask you this. What's Paranormal Challenge? What was that?
6: Paranormal Challenge was a show that was produced by Zach Baggins. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. It ran for one year. Oh. Um, and what he did was pit ghost hunting teams against one another in a challenge to see who could collect the most amount of evidence in an evening at a, at a haunted location. Oh, Wow
4: it pretty much went against everything Kathy and I believe in. Yeah, like, we don't believe right. in competition. We don't believe in evidence. <laughs> we don't yeah. believe in competing with other teams, but it was funny. We ended up in the show. <laughs> <laughs> and, and really
6: it was an honor because there were only 10 episodes. So that would have been 20 teams nationwide that were chosen. So we were really excited to be a part of it and, Zach was pretty cool and had some good ideas for how he wanted to see the show turn out. But if you know anything about the ghost shows and the ghost hunting shows, they're going for days and days. We were there three full days filming, and, you know, we were on camera, what, 22 minutes?
2: Yeah, Yeah. right.
6: We collected evidence for, like, 13 minutes. So, really, you know, it's not as it seems. Yeah. We were busy, busy, busy for three full days trying to find some ghosties and... uh, we luckily got a great place, a great location, which was Waverly Hills Sanatorium oh, in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, so that was an amazing thing. Of course, it was on all of our bucket lists. And once we got there, we were just we were overwhelmed by the size of the facility. But it was really a great learning experience. And uh, I just want to mention also that the Haunted Housewives did win. All right. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, cool. yeah.
2: That's awesome. Did you guys find that once you teamed up that more things were happening as a result of you being together for you guys in terms of experiences? I would say yes.
6: We both bring different strengths. Don't forget, Teresa was in this
2: longer than I was. So she
6: mentored me at the beginning And now when we work as a team, we both bring different strengths to what it
2: is we're trying to accomplish, as probably most teams do. What's your point of view on what is happening or what's being encountered when you do get an EVP. Yeah, when you talk about
1: evidence, what is it that we're collecting? What is the nature of that? Because you explained it a little bit uh, with your interview with Jim, and I thought thought the idea was fascinating because it's not what most people kind of believe, right?
4: We have a different view on evidence and collecting evidence and presenting evidence. Like I said, when we were on Paranormal Challenge, the whole idea was to bring evidence and whoever gets the best evidence. And we were talking, the producers were like, you can't guarantee you're going to get evidence. Right, and you know, I mean, what are you talking about? You can't guarantee anything. And the place can be the most haunted place in the world. That doesn't guarantee you're going to have an experience or find something. So we were a little concerned about that. And when I say team, Kathy and I, when we were on the show, we had another person with us, but that's not our team. It's just been me and Kathy. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're more like a couple or a pair. Uh-huh. Most people <laughs> Don't think start that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so we're not like traditional teams. We are not trying to find evidence to convince. The world that ghosts exist or that there's life after death, that's not what we want to do. We don't really care if people believe in ghosts or not. We do, so that's all we care about. But we believe that what's happening, the experiences that people are having, to us, it's like a form of energy. It's something that remains after someone has passed away like a ghost. I personally, and I think Kathy agrees, I don't believe in earthbound spirits. I don't believe that there are spirits and souls that are stuck here Uh on this realm. My religious beliefs will not allow me to think that a god would let a child's soul be trapped in a horrible hospital because they had this horrible death. I believe that what we're experiencing is ghosts and spirits or um, the anomalies, which is what it is, anomalies in the environment, strange sounds, noises, lights, temperature changes, feelings, electromagnetic pulses, all these things that we experience, these anomalies in the environment are caused by some sort of energy that emanates from a human person. And even after we die, we're energy. So after we pass away, that energy doesn't just stop existing. I mean, it changes forms, but I believe that some part of our consciousness our essence remains and that is what we're experiencing as ghosts and i believe sometimes that consciousness can interact with the living and sometimes it just remains in the environment lingering like an echo that's what i believe and i think kathy's beliefs is fairly similar to what i believe if not exact
6: <laughs> yeah i agree and we wouldn't be able to be such an effective team if we didn't agree on the tenants of the basic tenants but i will say that i also believe We are not part of a scientific community, as many people like to say. There is nothing science about this. If you don't connect on a base level or a sincere level with the energy that exists out there, then you're wasting time. And I know science is not going to support that viewpoint in any way. I feel we are connecting with whatever it is. We aren't even sure what it is. But if you're sincere and you really are open to the feelings, that perhaps we can make some sort of a connection, then it can happen. And I, most people don't believe like we believe; they believe a little differently. Like when bells and whistles go off, that means something exciting's happening, and it's a ghost.
1: You're but right. uh,
6: we don't necessarily think that
1: way. Right. That was something interesting that uh, you said at the beginning of the ghost hunt. Is that you know because everybody's now into all these devices. We we certainly had our own EMF meter and mm-hmm. uh, digital voice recorders. And I think you said that, uh, you know, none of these toys really matter. They're helpful in kind of determining or focusing on something, but it's not really what the experience is about. The
4: gadgets, the gadgets, the gadgets, <laughs> the gadgets that people use, the things that beep and light up and the things you see on television that they use. Although there are a few things that are now specifically designed to, quote, catch ghosts. Most of these things, what they do is they detect anomalies in the environment, changes, things that maybe are out of the ordinary. That doesn't necessarily mean a ghost. It could mean that there's something around, could mean something in the environment, but people mistake using electronics and these toys, these digital toys as science. They think that they are doing scientific work with that. They're experimenting with science. And we know anybody who's ever been on a real ghost hunt knows that you can't control the environment And most likely you're not going to be able to repeat the results that you get. So it's kind of the opposite of science. We're starting with a conclusion and working our way back to find the evidence to support that, which is not what the scientific community does. So what we do is we focus on the experience. What did you feel? What did you sense? You saw something, you heard something, Well, what could that mean? And we also try to communicate on a personal level with any spirits that we might be in contact with because the haunted housewives feel that when we're dealing with ghosts, they're not here for our entertainment, first of all, and they are not pets. They are or were living, breathing people, and we want to connect with them on a personal level. We want to tell their stories. Why are they here? Do they have something to say? Is there something they want us to do? Are they just curious? are they confused? Who were they? Maybe they want somebody to know their story. So we try to connect with them on a personal level and tell their story and just enjoy the experience instead of trying to catch something that beeps and lights and record that fluctuation in the electromagnetic field to prove to somebody that, yes, you were talking to a ghost. Why don't you just talk and try and have that experience. And it's helpful if you're with somebody who might be sensitive or a psychic or a medium, because we do believe in that. And Kathy is sensitive and we've all had our own experiences. So that helps. And we also try to take that personal experience and relate it back to the history of the place or the person, which is why we love the history part. If we can connect something that happens on a ghost hunt some sort of interaction that we've had with the spirit maybe we've caught an evp with that name or maybe something was told to us by a medium or whatever and we can connect that to a real person or a real part of history that's a win-win for us that's a great experience this is darren young from snipe hunt when i'm not working on my own strange podcast i'm listening to astonishing legends now back to
2: the show. It's interesting. and in your point of view, it's good to hear it clarified for me anyway because I found it almost disarming how nonchalant you guys were. It was like, it, kind of, it reminded me of like Dan Aykroyd walking in and goes with the cigarette stuck to his lip. And he's like, yeah, it's your free roaming repeater or whatever. It's just yeah. like, you guys are just like, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go back here. We'll, we'll try to get some EVPs and we're going to go downstairs. And, and And I was just like, it's not like, you're not going to believe this. There's no, I guess I'm thinking of Doug Henning, which nobody's old enough to remember. <laughs> right. uh, it's, you know, it's all Mad, magic. Right. Yeah, um,
1: <laughs> it's I, kind of matter of fact.
2: Yeah, but, it was real matter right. of fact. And in a way, I was emotionally, I was like, this is old hat to these guys. And I'm like, for me, just so you know, you know, we've been doing our show going on three years now. We've got about, you know, a little over 100 episodes in the can. Nothing compared to Jim, but we've covered a lot of stuff. And our show isn't all paranormal. We're kind of like... Uh, In Search of or Unsolved Mysteries, we run the gamut. We talk about, you know, we don't do true crime so much, but mysterious disappearances and cryptids and and lots of things. But we also definitely have our ghostly episodes. And so we've learned about that. But to be honest, the ghost hunt that we did in Kent with you guys was my first one ever. And oh, wow. so I was like a little bit like a, a school kid. I was just like this. I'm so <laughs> excited. And then you guys right. are down. And it's like, so then we're going to come back here and, you know, we'll do some easy EVPs upstairs. We'll go downstairs. And I was just like, this is just so I was I don't know what I was expecting, but I was like, huh. So then the other thing for me was and our approach on our show is we're like you guys. We're a team. We get along great. It's the reason that our show has lasted as long as it has. And uh, one of the things that you guys said on Jim's show, on the one you were on, episode 381, you talked about how you had sort of aligned over time more with respect to each other's beliefs. And the same thing has happened with me and Forrest, but the difference between us is, and we talked a little bit about this in our presentation at Kent, but the difference is that I was a little more incredulous about things. And I want to believe, which is of course the famous quote, but I'm also like trying to make sure, I'm trying to rule things out and not aggressively. I'm not what you would call a debunker or necessarily a cynic. I just want to be sure what I think I'm experiencing is what I'm actually experiencing. So going into that hunt, you know, and not knowing you guys, I was like, okay, what's this? What's going on here? Let's, (laughs) you know, let's check this out. I, I was excited because the Kent stage has an energy about it that's really amazing, especially when all the lights are off. And uh, it was very cool. So it was interesting to me how you guys approached everything.
1: Well, I was going to say, we'd certainly heard about the different techniques. And we'll get into that in a little bit, because I think people would be interested to know how you think that they, what are they capturing? What is that when they're going off? we had already talked a little bit about the EMF meter that I had with me. And I'd never really used one, I mean, other than for electronics and its intended purpose. And in certain spots, I did record an anomaly with it, that it just kind of went off unexpectedly, and it was unrepeatable, didn't seem to be anything emanating from the circuits or the walls or the lights or anything like that, which you would expect, but in certain areas. So I guess what Scott's saying, when we started the ghost hunt, we started off, I think with our team, we started off... Trying to get an EVP, electronic voice phenomenon recording. And yeah, we, were, we got we got one.
2: Yeah, we were with you, Kathy, up in the dressing rooms. Mm-hmm. And yes. For me, I was just my jaw was on the floor. I actually sat down there. We were all up there in the dark. It was it was great. And you had made an attempt to get that. And I thought that EVPs you know, we have a fascination with them, but I, I would say that it's now gone from, for me, it went from like a six on a scale of 10 to like a 13 after we hung out with you. Because I was just like, <laughs> wait a minute. So then when we did that EVP or you did up there in the dressing room, the first thing, of course, I was fascinated with was you whipped out this ancient digital recorder, <laughs> right? And, yep. and then you kind of threw it away. You're just, and I mean, verbally, you were just like, hey, you got to get one of these old ones because they work really well. And and then you just moved on. I was like, wait, wait, what's that? What's happening? And so th- then you, you know, you did the EVP. And at that point, I was blown away by actually the first response. You asked several questions, but the first one was, we thought we were talking to the spirit of Merle. And you asked the question about coffee. What kind of coffee do you like? And that EVP, that the ensuing EVP was, you know, was the first one that I'd ever experienced. And I got to say, I was just amazed. I also thought that the frequency with which you get EVPs was kind of rare. I mean, you hear, I mean, on the ghost shows, there's too many of them happening. So I, you know, that's that's why he he, was
1: a little incredulous because you asked a question, you, you, Pretty much right away, got an answer. Yeah, it was fascinating to me. So I I guess what I wanted to know is, for
2: you guys, are you getting them all the time? Because you were not shocked about it at all. You were just like, we can all agree that it's quiet in here. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're setting the stage and making sure everybody understands the circumstances. What can you tell me about that particular EVP and EVPs in general as you guys collect them?
6: Well, the device we used was a dr 60 It's a Panasonic recorder. It was the first digital recorder, so no tape in there.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: And um, the legend, which no one has ever been able to substantiate, says when they sold them, it was a big push because people were excited to get their hands on the first digital recorder. They were returned at an alarming rate because they were capturing extra sounds and voices. So that's the legend behind it. As I said, never proven, but the ghost hunting community heard that this dr 60 was out there and it was old, but it worked. So people went out and they bought them all up. And right now, I checked eBay today, there's none for sale. At one time, I think when Teresa and I bought ours, probably what, five years ago, Teresa? Uh-huh. Yeah, it was kind of almost a glut out there, but people knew what they had. So when they first were introduced and people were kind of getting a feel for it, I think you could have gotten one for 80 bucks. Which wow. is ridiculous for an old recorder you could find in a garage sale, right? That, yeah. that you could pay a quarter for. Right. Well, by the time Teresa and I got on the scene, we were introduced to it by friends of ours at uh, that we're, we were ghost hunting with in Pennsylvania. We were both amazed. I mean, like you said, my jaw hit the floor. Yeah. I went in search of one almost right away, and I think I picked mine up for three twenty-five.
4: Uh huh.
6: Teresa went a little later than I did. And I think yours was what just over four hundred.
4: Yeah, well, almost five.
6: All right, so lately, they're about $1,200. Because- 2000 2000 um, yeah. the last
4: one yeah. was on eBay. 2000 because they're using them on the TV shows now, so now you I can't know. find them, and people, the ones they're selling, are broken. Yeah. Ones.
2: Well, here's a little aside about that. When I got back from Kent, or when Forrest and I did, I think the night, or the next day, <laughs> we landed pretty late. I was like I have to know more about this. And I, I you know I used to edit television commercials. That was my last career for like almost 20 years. So I'm pretty tech savvy, you know, and I remembered kind of looking at what you had there in your hand, Kathy, and I came home and I was just like I got to know more about it. So I started googling and googling and googling it. And I figured out that it was the DR60. And so then mm-hmm. I started reading different web pages about it. 2 days later I acquired one. So, oh are <laughs> You
6: kidding? You got one? Yes.
2: I'm not going to I'm not going to say on the air how much I spent on He'll it. He'll get in trouble with his wife. I'll, yeah. I'll say that it, I knew that Forrest was not going to let me put it on our company. I'll tell you that.
6: <laughs> oh, my god! So well, if they work, they're a gem because the problem is it is an old piece. It's an ancient yeah. piece of equipment. Yeah. Teresa and I are always like when would take it out, I treat mine. I put it in a special little case, and it's all in you know on a little pillow. Yes. <laughs> and when we take it out every time, in your head, you're like, this could be the last time. I this know. could be yeah. the last time. Yeah. But for some reason, those anomalies are captured. And, you know, from the time that we spent together, sometimes it's unintelligible. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It sounds like gobbledygook. But the truth is we are silent and it is voice activated. Something is captured, whether it's just natural anomaly, like we're describing with the other equipment we use could be. But then you get that voice that says, Merle, how do you like your coffee? And it says dark roast. Yeah. So there's just times where you hear it clearly. It's an intelligent answer. But the people who think it's all gobbledygook will explain it away. But I'm telling you, you heard that there was an answer on there and it was fairly clear. It wasn't like, you know, knock your socks off clear, but you could make it out. I so, made it out
2: immediately. And this is my question to you. I think you recorded it into your phone. Would you be willing to send that to us, the Merle yeah, encounter?
6: I'll send them all to you. I have Dark Roast and another group came. We had I Like It Black. Oh, really? Yeah. And then one of the things, and you wouldn't have heard of this. I, don't, I know it wasn't your group. We were talking about Josephine, the girl who lived in the apartment, and there's not a lot of information. Yes. And the question was sincerely posed, you know, where could Josephine be? Do you know anything about Josephine? And the answer, and this one was fairly clear, came back, you'll never find her. <laughs> Whatever oh. that might mean. Oh. But that was the answer. You'll never find her. So I have three or four that are pretty clear I oh can send God. to you. Yes, please they do. They are on my phone. They're on my phone.
2: I was just in abject disbelief. With all due respect to you, I was like, oh, these ladies, they're they pulling some tricks. I was thinking, <laughs> immediately went to I James like, Randi yeah, mode. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was like, what's yeah. happening? So then, you know, we're all sitting there in the dark. So then my mind, the tech part of my mind starts going, okay, wait, they know the questions they're going to ask. They would have had to pre-record this answer in a distorted... And then I thought... But how would they, oh, wait, they played it into the phone. So they maybe they had a file in the phone and then it merged it. <laughs> and I was thinking about this and I was like, as much as I know about post-production and how to do tricky business with technical stuff, I was like, I could not figure out how you could possibly do that. And then when I got home and figured out how mundane and base and old school the dr 60 was, sure. I was like, there is no way to hack this thing. I mean, you would no. have to be a genius to put anything like a pre-existing file or merge a file on it. There's just no way. So- it really cemented for me that what happened was a real experience. And then I found myself in the position of like so many guests we have on our show or somebody tells a story and you're just like, I want to believe you. I'm glad you're on the show, you know, but I wasn't there for this. I was there and Kathy, I was with you and I'm so glad it was really amazing. And now I'm out a considerable amount of money with This is the other thing with the DR60. Yeah, And what I read, you know, because I did, I read the ups and downs. I read the positives and the negatives about it before I got it. People universally said you need to have the gift, essentially, if you're going to, you need to be connected like you are, Kathy, as Teresa had said and I don't think I am. And I don't know that Forrest is. If we are, we're maybe learning to be. So I'm also concerned that I've bought it and I'm not going to get a lot of great results from it because we don't have, like, I feel like we need to bring somebody like you along with us, you know?
6: I would say go to a known haunted spot that you've heard other people talk about or ghost hunters have been there or whatever. Take your DR-60 and you know it's voice activated. Yes. And take it to a quiet room or even Teresa has a Faraday bag. That is basically a bag that protects outside sounds. Yes. If you can get one of those, put it inside of it, put it in this empty room and shut the door and walk out.
2: Now when you go back or or you don't
6: have to ask it. You can say, before you even turn it on, say, I'm going to leave this here. I want to believe you're here. If you are, can you use this device to communicate with me? I'm just going to leave it. If you have any messages, tell me. And just go in faith and walk out and shut that door for a couple minutes. And see what happens.
2: I have a Faraday bag for my car keys, you know, because people where I live, they try to break in your car by repeating the signal. And uh, Mm -hmm. you're saying you put it fully inside. So the microphone is closed off from even the room.
4: I have a Faraday bag that I use with my recorder just to see if there's a difference because people have accused us that all those recorders pick up miscellaneous noise and you're just making words out of nothing. And here's the thing, the dr 60 the recorder we use, it doesn't always work. If you were with my group, we were getting almost nothing as far as EVPs. Uh And the one time I did get something that was substantial, I put it in the Faraday bag and it seemed to work. But I've used this recorder In places, and we've got nothing. We've done things together, and we've got nothing. We've done things together with both of our recorders, and I've got something, Kathy got nothing. Or sometimes we get the same thing. So it is the recorder, but it's not necessarily the recorder. Like you said, you need to have a connection, you need to be open to it. It's not magic, and it's not fixed, it's not phony. It just works before your audience runs out and tries to buy a dr 60 for $2,000 on eBay. Mine wasn't um, that much.
2: I want to proud to say that it was nowhere yeah, okay, near that much. Good. <laughs> yeah. That's great job.
4: But I'll give you the warning. First of all, we yeah. know unscrupulous former ghost hunters who have these things who are selling them now, for outrageous amounts of money and they're broken that they pulled them apart and they've messed with the innards and they no longer work because they've changed something or something and you don't get your money back on these things. But also it's not just this recorder. If you have one of those old tape recorders, those mini cassette recorders and I'll show my age that I used in college tape recorders also get wonderful EVPs. They work really well as well. Maybe not as great as the digital, but The idea, we believe, behind it is the new recorders that are on the market now, even the ones on your phone, the ones that you buy at the store, the Zoom recorders, all these Olympus recorders, whatever, they're designed to filter out miscellaneous noise. So they're cleaning up any of the noise that's coming in, and we think that they're filtering out whatever wavelength, whatever energy that the spirits are trying to communicate with us. That's why we think these old recorders are even tape recorders work so well. Right, You can try that. I mean, I used to use my, the first EVP I ever got was on a tape recorder and I was blown away. And it was a little bit clearer than we can get on our recorder now, but sometimes we hear something clear as day. And we've also used other recorders and got EVPs, but this one we're pretty stuck on these. We're enamored getting... of it. Yes,
6: we're well, in love with it, a- so. as you are.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm now. excited about it. But let's talk about a little bit about the idea behind it. I think because not a lot of people are going to know what the I guess mechanism here that is working. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I'll kind of briefly explain, it and then you can kind of jump in with your own thoughts about this. The reason that the DR60 works so well is that being the first generation non-tape digital recorder there's a lot of internal noise that goes along with it which is of course a drawback for any digital recorder but for this one that's what makes it good for ghost hunting is that it generates some inherent internal noise now the idea is that the spirit or whatever entity it is out there trying to communicate is using that noise to form words is that the correct idea
4: I think that that is uh, one way that it could possibly work. We don't understand the mechanics of it 100%. We can't be sure about anything that we do. Right. But that is one theory that that's what's happening. Like I said, because it doesn't filter out everything, it's using some of the built-in noise that- it's making, just the mechanics of it are making to communicate. They're somehow manipulating that noise. We've also gotten EVPs using white noise machines. Right. Where you just have white noise on and somehow you start hearing a voice out of it. It's kind of the same idea if you've ever used an SB7 or a spirit box. Sometimes you're picking up voices from the different radio stations and it SB7 is something that scans the radio frequencies at a very, very high rate. Like staying on each station a fraction of a second, but sometimes you hear words or even full sentences come through, which really shouldn't be possible, but sometimes you get the answer through the white noise. So it could be that. We don't really understand completely or we don't know exactly what is happening, but that's what we believe. I think sometimes the simpler the better. Kathy and I go old school a lot and instead of using these very expensive cameras and electronic devices and... Which Which we have. Yeah, we have them. But we've seen teams come in with van loads of equipment and cases and cases of special cameras and recorders and monitors and sensors and things. And sometimes, you know, use your mind, your ears, your eyes, good old tape recorder. Use whatever you have. The simpler, the better. We don't know. I can't tell you what a ghost is. I can't tell you how it's communicating. I can tell you what I think it is. But I can't prove any of that. So I don't know. But I do believe the way that ghosts interact with us with anything, with even with our cameras, with our EMF meters. They are manipulating the environment somehow. And for some reason, it seems to be easier for them to manipulate electricity and electric signals and sound waves and things like that. So it could be that that's what it is. And I don't know if the dr 60 was the first digital recorder. I know it was one of the first. I sure. think that right. there might've been some recorders before then, but it is one of the, the earliest ones that was used commercially. And I think just because it's so simple and it's not made to have crisp, clear sounds that it, it is what it is. And I think the simplicity of it is what makes it work. And it doesn't work all the time. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So we don't know for sure what the mechanics of it are.
1: Right, because what I'd heard is that if you're going to use an analog device like an old tape recorder, could be cassette recorder or micro cassette, that it works much better if, like you said, you're playing some white noise. And I've heard people use uh, running water sounds or a fa- electric fan noise or TV static, even crowd noise, talking run backwards. That it needs something. It needs some kind of medium to form the sounds because, of course, they have no vocal cords like we do. Could
4: be the vibrations of the sounds. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't know.
1: Have you noticed analog or digital working better than uh, one or the other? Because I'd also heard from uh, an interview with, I believe, this uh, gentleman not necessarily Ghost Hunter, but he'd done a lot of documentaries for the BBC going to spooky places. And he said that uh, sometimes different digital equipment works better than the other. Like the older fashioned uh, scan line TV cameras will pick up more stuff than the progressive scan newer cameras and analog equipment sometimes works better. Have you noticed any difference between digital and analog?
4: I don't know if one works better. I mean, Mm -hmm. I used to think that our recorders were the best for EVPs, and the, but before that, I thought it was tape. But then Kathy and I have a friend who uses the voice recorder on her Samsung phone, Samsung. Mm-hmm. and she gets amazing EVPs. So really? I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think a lot of it has to do with the people that are doing, doing the communicating, right. not just the equipment that you're using. I really, truly believe that there is something with your intent and something with how you are going about it and being open to it. Maybe it's our own energy that is imprinting on there. Maybe it's not even a ghost at all. Maybe it's coming from us. I don't think so, but who knows? Maybe it's a combination of external forces and energy that's coming from the person using the equipment. I don't know. I have seen remarkable things with people's cell phones and regular tape recorders. I caught an EVP just on the recorder on my video camera a few times where the EVP showed up on the audio track on my video camera. So I don't think there's one answer. I think it can be anything. And then I know ghost hunters who have, you know, $400 digital recorders that they swear by. So who knows? I don't know for sure.
2: I have a couple of very quick tech questions about the dr 60 for you guys, since you've had one for a while. The first one is, When you take the batteries out, does it lose the contents? No, it does not. No, Okay. Because when I got this one, when I put the batteries in, I had to set the date and everything. Like it was totally empty. So, because I don't want to leave the batteries in it because I'm afraid if it's sitting a long time, they might corrode. But if I take them out, does that mean the files are going to be gone?
4: No, you won't lose your files, but I definitely recommend you take the batteries out if you're not going to be using it. Right. Because that's there is some sort of an internal memory. There has to be. Okay, so so it's it's, it's saved on the file until you delete it. Okay. Yeah.
2: All right. Then then the next question is about the sensitivity setting. You know, it came at three, right in the middle. It can go up to five with the voice activation, and this is something that I thought was interesting when we did the one up in the dressing rooms. The answers seemed to come to the questions super fast. And I didn't realize until last night when I was playing around with the one that we got that it seemed that way because it activated for your question and then it was quiet and then it activated for the answer. So it seemed like the answer was right after the question. But in reality, it's just, if there was nothing happening between the question and the answer, it just wasn't recording, right? Correct. Because I was like, yeah, these guys are anxious to answer. <laughs> you right, know? Yeah. You know, It's like it's like no, what kind of coffee? Dark roast. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Yeah. We could have been waiting for a while for that answer to come through. And that's why it's really hard to let go and go to your next question because you're like, this could be the moment. This but yeah. you're moving on already. So yeah. And that's kind of how we are as a society now. We want to move on and get it done quick.
2: Have you looked at the sensitivity setting on the ones that you use? Do you keep it at the factory right in the middle, or do you turn it up to five or down or where do you guys keep it for your evps
4: i've never mine. touched the mine i've, I've left Me it the either. way i got it okay I've so never then that's, that's a three. at three
2: that's right in the middle then because last okay, night yeah. i was playing around with ours and i tried it at three and then i dialed it up to five and it at five it keeps recording pretty much the whole time because it's so sensitive to any kind of sound i mean this was you know it wasn't in a bag or anything so it was just in my living room but um i was curious if you guys had played with so i think I'd probably put it back to three then.
4: Yeah, I wouldn't have it too sensitive. It's going to pick up. The problem with this recorder is it does pick up. That's why when we ask people when we're doing EVP sessions, you know, please be still. Try not to shuffle or cough or sneeze or whatever. Because even though we're here right now and you just... Coughed, and I know that now. When I play this back, even in ten minutes or tomorrow, I might not remember that you coughed, and it might not come through as a cough. It might come through and it sound like a scream, or or oh, what was that weird noise? And so, if it's too sensitive, it's going to pick up stuff you don't want. I think that keeping it on a lower sensitivity is fine because we find that we get a lot of VVPs with screams. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if it's the spirits are um, they're trying to communicate and they have to build up enough energy to to make their voice heard. But if they want to be heard, they will get their voice to record on the recorder.
2: It doesn't seem like it's actually an out loud sound anyway. So then you wonder, what does the sensitivity even matter, I guess, in the long run? Because we're not actually hearing it when it's happening Right. It's more like it's some internal manipulation of the gear, right?
4: Right. We're not hearing it with our ears, but it will pick up stuff that we do hear with our ears. So that's why, like in the Faraday, if it's in the Faraday cage or the Faraday bag, there's no sound coming in. So why is it picking up anything? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's got to be. My advice to you is
6: is when you are running it, keep your eye on the red light because, as I explained to you, when it's blinking, there's nothing being recorded. But if you hear a car rev up outside yeah. and you're watching that light, and suddenly it does go solid for a you know a blip, yeah. it did record that car revving up, and you're going to hear it back as some demonic ghost going Rah! right. So you got <laughs> it. Right. You got to take it all into consideration that there are other artifacts being recorded on there that are not ghostly voices from beyond. So mm.
2: when you go to get an EVP, how many ghost hunts have you done at the stage, at Kent stage? Uh,
4: this is our third.
2: Third, okay, so not yeah, not like three, dozens. Th- I thought maybe you were there all no. the time. Okay, no,
4: we're we're about an hour outside of Kent, so okay. it's not like right in our backyard.
2: Okay, so that was maybe your third time. In terms of the times that you go out and you attempt to get EVPs, what frequency are you successfully getting? Would you say like what percentage <laughs> of time are you getting things? <laughs>
6: yeah, uh, ninety, about wow. 90. Say, yeah. 90, between ninety and ninety-four, like all the time.
2: Wow, yeah, okay.
0: I
6: will tell you, you know, we have had, as she said, don't think that they're always just recording some noise because I do know who I'm talking to sometimes. And we have a place we go that's local, that is one of our favorite places in the whole world. And we, the first time we ever used our new DR, we went there because we knew we would record something and we did. But since then, we've always recorded there and we've always caught things. Well, they had a big mix up there where they did some remodeling and they put in a bar in the parking lot and all this other stuff. And I will tell you, as Teresa said, my friends up there don't want to talk to me anymore on my recorder. So did they all leave? Are they mad at me? I don't know. But Teresa can still capture things on her recorder. So as she said, the intent of the person And the communication or the relationship that you're having with what you're trying to do makes all the difference in the world.
2: Well, in that case, what is your intent when you're doing this? Like when you were at Kent and upstairs and we got that response, presumably from Merle, in your mind, what are you projecting when you're asking these questions?
6: I'm a very relational person. So... I want to relate to whatever is occurring. And as Teresa said, we don't know for sure what's happening. I can't tell you how that gets on there. It used to keep me up at night wondering about those things.
5: Hmm.
6: Now I just accept it because it does happen. And you can see it happens with alarming frequency. But I just am very relational and I really feel, I can deeply feel. And I feel right now, sitting in my house, that there are spirits around us at all times. And it's just a matter of us having the intent and sincerity to want to speak with them and to see if, in turn, they would honor us by speaking back. That's my opinion. I know it's very emotional and feminine or whatever, but that's how I approach it. I really want to relate with them. I'm curious, like you are, like everyone is, what's going on after we die. So I want to see if they can give us any Answers or even a clue of what it is that occurs once you're on the other side of the veil.
4: And sometimes Kathy and I are put in a situation like at the Kent stage when we're with a group, and especially if it's like a fundraiser or something like that, where people have come and they want to have this experience, and we cannot guarantee that they're going to have an experience. We can't guarantee that at all. We can hope, and you know. Sometimes we're at places that are we know are active and we're familiar with and we're we're pretty sure that we'll have an experience, but we can't be sure. So when we run these recorders, like especially at the Kent stage, I would probably take an experience that if it was just me and Kathy, I might just dismiss because, eh, you know, I don't know. That wasn't very clear. But when people are there and they want to have this experience, you have to be more open to what they're feeling and what they're sensing and what they want to happen. So for us like at the Kent stage, my groups, we didn't have a whole lot as far as EVPs. We had a couple little things and yeah, I'm probably very dismissive because it happens a lot. I'm like, Oh, well that just said my name. No big well, deal. They have to come <laughs> up to <laughs> Therese, uh, yeah.
6: and introduce themselves with a full first and last name <laughs> and give their birthday and everything. Of course you will believe anything. Well, so she kind of dismisses them pretty quick.
4: I want she people to, to, to have an experience and I want them to believe Things are happening, but I try to relate it back to a person like when we were doing the EVPs, I was hoping that we could talk to somebody that we knew was at the Kent stage like Merle or Woody or or one of those spirits that are known to be there. So at one time it said my name and I was like, uh, whatever, you know, people are like, (laughs) what, what? And I'm like, I don't want to talk about me. (laughs) You want people to have an experience, but you don't want to lie and you don't want to make something that isn't paranormal seem paranormal because I think that's kind of cheating people. So we want to give people a good experience, especially if it's a fundraiser and they're giving us their money, but we don't want to lie. We don't want to fake things. So we tell people, well, what do you feel? What are you sensing? But if we can get anything that we can relate back to a piece of history that's a win for us because for us even a bad day of ghost hunting is still a good day of history as long as we keep that history and those personal stories and personal experience in the forefront of our mind
1: right well speaking of knowing who you're talking to sort of from the other side or having a good idea about it and also yourselves or participants wanting or expecting you know a type of experience have you ever received some communication Let's say, and you talked about this on Jim's show from something that was perhaps a non human entity and it wasn't expected and maybe rattled you, maybe scared you.
4: We've had experiences with human spirits that weren't very nice.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> right. that,
4: that I don't know if they were not. I've had a couple encounters with something that was non human. I don't know what it was. I know mm-hmm. it was negative. I don't think it was ever a human spirit, but yeah. we've encountered some human spirits that were really nasty
5: wow. and, mm-hmm.
4: and not pleasant and threatening even, and possibly even dangerous. I would go mm. so far as to say some things that we've encountered have been dangerous, that Kathy had a spirit that we believe we picked up at Mansfield Prison It was a human spirit, but this guy was nasty. He was bad news. I mean, he threatened me, swore at me, called me names, and he seemed to be in love with Kathy. Um, (laughs) But he stuck around and we couldn't get rid of him. Mm. We've dealt with things that felt really negative and and heavy at a place called Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. I don't know if it was human energy, human spirits that we were sensing. I know it was bad and I know it was nothing I wanted to ever encounter again. I've had that happen on a residential case that I did with my old ghost hunting team, where something negative and very nasty attached itself to me for a long time, and I do not believe it was human. But usually it's the human spirits. and sometimes we pick up pick up these nasty human spirits. They're either in a bad mood, they're upset about something, or they have negative intent. and you have to be very, very, careful with that because that is not something you want to bring home, especially if you have children.
2: <laughs> in terms of these things that persisted after you left locations, how did you know that they were still around?
4: Well, with the one that we picked up, and we I wrote about this extensively in, in my book um, okay. because it was so profound for us. What, what's the name of your uh, book? My book that I wrote without Kathy was called America's Most Haunted, okay. The Secrets of Famous Paranormal Places, but the whole book is Kathy and I's Adventures. <laughs> oh, okay, great. <laughs> um, this entity that we picked up at Mansfield, it would show up, we would be in another state at another location, and we'd get his name and his voice on our recorders. Oh, geez. And that was disturbing enough. No, thank you. But, <laughs> yeah, but then it seemed to be at home with Kathy, and that's when it got unacceptable. Right, Kathy?
6: It visually manifested at the end. That was when I was done with him. Good because I, I was fine up until that point. At one point, I thought he was trying to interact with my grandchildren. So I was like, okay, th- it was interesting up until now. Mm. So that's when it became a little bit dangerous. But then after that, shortly thereafter, there was a, an instance where there was a manifestation. And it was definitely he manifested to try to scare me. And that's when I said, that's the end of you. And I took steps to uh, rid myself of him. And he's been gone since then.
1: We Remember don't like when to say his name or anything. No. Remember he when he took my bed? I called
6: terrifying. her in the middle of the night because my bed yeah. was shaking. And uh, yeah, there was just all kinds of as it built up, it got. He wanted more and more attention, and I wasn't willing to give him that time.
2: Did you enlist help for the steps you took, or did you do that on your own?
6: I have a lot of friends who are mediums and psychics, and as I knew I was on this journey, I did consult them to make sure that I was safe. When I decided it was time for him to go. I was in Sedona, Arizona. I visited a medium there and she gave me some advice. And I actually went out to a vortex out in the um, desert and did a little like self ceremony and let him go there. Wow. So that was a very spiritual place. And I said, apparently what he wanted for me was he thought that I had the ability to help him become human again or come back to earth. Mm. and that's what I got from several of my medium friends was that was the feeling he had that I had some power to do this and I said that would be God and I'm not God so (laughs) and then like I said as he got more and more I don't want to say powerful because I don't want to give him any power but as he got more and more involved he was making himself manifesting with the shaking of the bed and this giant shadow thing and all kinds of weird things and then after that I was like you're going buddy that's the end of this.
4: He was aggressive. He, yeah. was aggressive. he was aggressive and he was to an invasive. Very invasive. Like we would be having a communication session, we would be doing EVPs in another location, and we would be having a conversation with a spirit, or so we thought. And then all of a sudden, here he comes with his voice and mm-hmm. him cussing at me and calling me names, and it was just horrible. I mean, when, it was really like, obvious that it wasn't the same person that we were originally talking to. He was aggressive. He was a a nasty human when he was living and he was a real nasty ghost.
2: In terms of the names was like misogynistic type stuff or like?
4: Oh, yeah. I called me the B word, the C word. He said he was going to F and kill me. And yeah. Wow. Wow. All sorts of stuff like that.
1: Well, we do get emails from people who, you know, are interested in checking out some of these places. That's kind of a hobby. I wouldn't say that they actively go ghost hunting, but they like to go check out, a, you know, uh, some of these more uh, famous, supposedly haunted places, either officially on a tour or or on their own, or they've just had incursions into their lives being, you know, in the place that they're living. I've heard you guys do a little something before you go on these hunts to kind of protect yourself. And also to kind of wash whatever is maybe attaching themselves to you afterwards. Can you talk a little bit about that?
6: Well, we're both Christians and we're praying women, so believe it or not, prayer does work.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: And we usually cover ourselves in prayer before we do go out to actively do a paranormal research, as well as when I'm done, I try to pray, <laughs> pray it away, if you will. Yeah. But we also have known to um, use. Sea salt in water to just spray yourself down to break any type of spiritual bonds. So when you're done, it's kind of like a barrier that says, okay, we're done here mixing it up. You're not welcome to follow me home. And we just give ourselves a light spray of uh, sea salt in water. Sea salt is supposed to be a purifier back to mystical ancient times. Mm -hmm. And uh, I firmly believe it works. But again, as we've been saying all along in our conversation, a lot of it is intent. So if you're willing to let the spirits go, then you have to be really forceful and say, you're not welcome. I used to always say, you're not welcome in my house. This is my sanctuary. You cannot pass this border here. And I never had any problems until I had that one spirit attached. And we've done all kinds of weird things.
5: Trust me.
4: (laughs) We do shielding rituals sometimes, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, do cleansing rituals afterwards, especially if we've been at a particularly nasty place. Like I said, one time I brought something home, this is early on in my career. It was really negative. It was a horrible thing to introduce to myself, to my family. And since then, I always do, and we do, like we said, we're Christian, we do it prayer wise. But if you're not Christian or you're pagan or whatever, we have energy workers. Who are friends who taught us these things where you can surround yourself with white light and do these shielding and grounding rituals Mm -hmm. that really seem to work. The
2: grounding rituals especially seem to work. Do you guys ever offer help to other people who might be experiencing issues?
4: Yeah, of course. But, you know, we're not like for profit mediums. Although we are sensitive, but we do have people who that are mediums that can help people. We've done a lot of residential investigations where people thought there was a ghost that was torturing their child and and ruining their life and things like that. And we've gone in there to try to help people make sense of what's going on. So we do do that. But unlike certain people on TV, we're not ghost maids. So we're not there to cleanse your house of ghosts. That's not what we do. But we will help people make sense. Of what's going on and maybe give them the tools to take care of it themselves we kind of educate them on what's going on what it could be what it might be and help them be able to maybe take care of this paranormal problem themselves we help when asked but we're not that altruistic that we're out there to just help people we get satisfaction and we get from what we do more than just um the pleasure of knowing we've helped our fellow man.
2: <laughs> right. right. So you're saying you're selfish. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes, that's true. We're, 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 we we're not are. fooling anybody. We're not saving the world here. Right. We're not the Ghostbusters that are going to go in and, and take care of all the ghost problems you have in your business. Cause we go in there cause we're curious. We want to know ourselves, but we will empower people and, and help them along as best they can. And if somebody is really seeking a medium or a psychic to help them, we can direct them where to go.
2: The last thing I wanted to ask you guys about was I had a personal experience at the theater and I have a hard time figuring out whether it was psychosomatic or not, but it was really, uh, it was a palpable thing that happened to me. I was no longer with either one of you, but I was, I was taken down into the front basement that you access right there by the lobby that had all the clutter, had some props and it had the letters for the marquee in it down mm-hmm. on the front. And as I went down the stairs and I entered that room, right at the bottom of the stairs and I just kind of got into the room. I had a feeling in my chest that I've never had in my life. Not like a heart palpitation, but more like a kind of a negative pressure that almost took my breath away. It was so shocking to me. Forrest actually was looking at me. He was like, "What's wrong?" Two or three people asked me what was wrong with me, which I don't think I've ever exhibited outwardly a feeling like that. And Yeah, it's a spooky, cluttered basement, but I don't have problems with those. Like that, it looked just like my great grandfather's basement in his hundred-year-old house in North Carolina. Like there were no issues that way for me. I wasn't predisposed to being freaked out. I didn't go down the stairs. Being, you know, I was excited to explore the room, but I had this feeling. And then I walked all around the room, back in the corners and everything, trying to see if it would come back, and it didn't. But I had an overwhelming feeling that I needed to leave. And so I just went back up the stairs and waited in the lobby for the rest of the group to come back up. Because I was, I, I don't know what that was. Could that have just been my mind and body playing tricks on me? Or do you have any reaction to that that event for me?
6: We're talking a lot about people being sensitive. And we all have the ability to be sensitive to our environment. I mean, we just naturally are. And when you interpret an event like that with a sense of doom or, you know, the yeah. suppressive force, I think you have to take into consideration that it could be, could be something paranormal. Somebody is trying to affect your energy in some way, maybe even a negative way in this case. Uh So I do think you have to give thought to it. I don't think anybody should overreact. But at the same time, that could have been a true paranormal experience that somebody was trying to affect your energy to have you notice that something had happened. And obviously you did. So it worked. Okay.
2: Okay. Okay. It
6: just gives you new enthusiasm for the experiences that you're having in a way. I mean, because it's like they really, Teresa and I both have been touched by unseen hands or I'm positive. We both have been touched, Uh you know, even negatively. She's had her hair pulled. I had my back scratched. So these things really do happen, whether it is intended to be negative or whether it is intended to just make us aware that we're not the only kid on the block. I don't know. So we'll never know, but you just have to, look at that and say, wow, that happened to me. And it could be that somebody's trying to get my attention that I cannot see with my eyes or hear with my ears.
2: I just want to thank you for coming on the show too. You guys have been great. Where can our listeners find your books? What kind of stuff have you got out there that they can pick up?
4: You can find us on the internet, hauntedhousewives.com. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook, the Haunted Housewives on Facebook, or the Willoughby Ghost Walk. That's Kathy's business. And if anybody is local Northeast Ohio, you should probably check that out. And Kathy's book is Haunted Willoughby, Ohio. My book is America's Most Haunted, The Secret of Famous Paranormal Places. And Kathy and I have a book coming out probably later this summer, we believe it will be released called Love Beyond the Grave true tales of haunted hearts. So look for that. That's coming out soon. But the best way to get in touch with us is through our social media. So check us out on Facebook or drop us an email and we will list anything we have going on. We do an extensive tour of different libraries in the fall as well as a number of fundraisers. So there's always something going on that you can come and join the haunted housewives on a ghost hunt or a ghost walk, or come and hear us talk or talk about our books or experiences so just check us out and we will put our entire schedule up online as soon as it becomes available.
2: That's great. I think you talked about uh, Love Beyond the Grave on Jim's show, right? Was That that was the yes. other – we haven't heard that episode, but we did find it last night. So that was the Paranormal Podcast number 469, if uh, listeners are looking for that.
4: And that idea, uh, after doing that show, that's where we get the idea to write the book. Oh, cool. So the book actually came out of doing that show on Jim Harold's podcast – where we actually wrote the book from that. So what that is, is that's true stories. So this is real people, real historic stories and real people that have a haunting attached to them, but all the stories revolve around love, which sounds really romantic, but sometimes love is not all uh, chocolate and flowers. Sometimes (laughs) love can be a little bit morbid or obsessive. So we tackle all the different aspects of love And the love stories around these very real people that were once-living people, people you might even have heard about in history. So oh, it's uh, cool. we're really looking forward to that, and we're hoping it does well, and we can't wait to start promoting that.
2: Well, let us know when that comes out. Maybe we can get you guys back on the show to talk about it, if you want to. Oh, we
4: would love to. Okay. We would love to.
2: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us.
4: Thank you. It was great meeting you at the Kent Stage, and yeah, we're was... very we're very honored to have you ask us to be on the show, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you. Thanks for your time. It was time. great
6: to talk to you guys. I really enjoyed it. Take Thank care. you.
4: Yes. All right. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Heather Marie Adkins. When I'm not writing my next best selling urban fantasy novel, I'm
5: binging Astonishing Legends. Let's get back to the show.
2: Man, I really wish we could have done that interview before <laughs> we went. On that ghost hunt. Mm. I would have liked to have been more familiar with them to ask more questions while we were there. But on the other hand, we couldn't know what was going to
1: happen that night. We're not the only ones that were there. There's other people, of course. Who, yeah, there was a lot of people. B, yeah, who yeah. Uh, you know, bought a ticket to get onto this ghost hunt, and they're asking questions. And, and they were both really good about explaining the process and trying different things. Because they realized that you know we're green at this and oh, yeah, you I, don't know what to say, and, and you know, like... Well, and this is the funny thing, is, like, being a part of the ghost hunt was part of our
2: agreement to come to the yeah, sure. weekend. There were certain things that we were obligated to do as part of being at the Paranormal Weekend, and, uh... When we got in there, someone came up to me. I think Rochelle did or somebody. I think actually one of the Haunted Housewives did. Mm-hmm. I think it was uh, Teresa came up and was like, are you leading one of the groups? And I was like, we can't. I can't lead. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've never done this. <laughs> no, and we're running away. They, and then yeah. they were like slack-jawed. And I guess I was like, yeah, this is embarrassing. We'd be like 100 episodes on ghosts
1: and no, UFOs well, and we've never done a ghost. We're paper uh, investigators. Yeah, yeah, we're paper, well, but we wanted, yeah.
2: we wanted to experience it, which we did, so we'll lead the next one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well here I mean here's, here's the, the thing God, it was so much fun. Yeah.
1: I've been in quite a few places that reportedly, you know, had a ghost or two or kind of spooky, but I had never had an experience personally. And here, I was never really creeped out, just really excited and, yeah. and, and really enjoying yeah. the vibe. And so uh, different for Scott, but I was just kind of enjoying it. Again, we were both kind of uh, pretty tired at that point. Being open, that was my big thing. Just be open to whatever, being kind of neutral, but welcoming of any kind of communication because that's essentially what you're asking for here. Yeah, is communication with something that's beyond our realm. With regard
2: to Teresa and Kathy, we are absolutely looking forward to having them back when their new book comes out later this summer. By the way, I did want to also point out we have pictures and uh, newspaper articles about both Merle and Woody in the links for this show because the Charlton Dennis family went out of their way to uh, scan and email us all the mementos that they had on oh, so cool. uh, Merle yeah. and Woody, mm-hmm. in which they're saving all that stuff, which I think is really great. So now we get to, it's the end of the show. We've played these interviews for you. We're going to take you out here on this part about the EVP, the mm. electronic voice phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And forrest, I don't know, and it's interesting. We, we haven't really talked about the presentation we gave while we were at Kent Paranormal Weekend, but it was about belief and it was about proving you know the desire and the necessity or who is the onus on to prove that something does or doesn't exist, especially something that is unprovable. Right. And right. that you can only approach in an unscientific way. You don't have a choice about making a scientific assessment of things like this.
1: Yeah, it's really heading towards proof, but trying to find evidence where you can't and make a determination from the things you find. And that's kind of what we're collecting here. You can't prove anything in an evening. We'll never prove it maybe in a lifetime uh, or all eternity, but you might be able to collect evidence that leads to a personal conclusion. And that's all it is for all of us. It's a personal kind of thing. And Kathy and Teresa will tell you the same thing. It's like none of these gadgets, none of this stuff is going to ding, ding, ding. Hey, I found a ghost. I captured one. Uh, you might get clues here, but you, again, it's, it's, if you want to look at it as all inconclusive, you can look at it that way. So they not here to make you believe anything. But it's kind of fun to search for the clues, for the yeah. evidence, and that's and, that's what it's about, and that's know. what EVPs are, you know. And I think for me,
2: the only exposure I ever had to them, and you know, we talked about this, the only exposure I've ever had to them is listening to them mostly on websites. Right. You know, right. oh look at this. Here's it. It's something that somebody recorded that I don't know on a device that I don't understand. You know, I don't know what. Not that I don't understand. Yeah. I'm like unfrozen caveman lawyer. <laughs> um, I don't know what the recorder was. Yeah. I don't know who yeah. did it. As far as something that's easy to hoax, an EVP couldn't be any easier in today's state of technology. All you have to do is know a little bit about audio editing and have some fun audio editing software, and you could pretty much fake one pretty easily with the right skill set. I'm not saying I could do it, but I know people that know Pro Tools, which is what we use to record our show in. Mm -hmm. It's all kinds of plugins and stuff that will make something sound like an EVP. So for me, EVPs prior to Kent Paranormal Weekend
1: We're only just a little bit left of orbs. (laughs) Um, Because again, here's my my take on it for you, is that you've never experienced either of those in person because you have that distance. It's that barrier between you, Scott, and seeing this on media. So if I showed you a picture of an orb like floating and it's like, well, yeah, there's a good chance it's dust being picked up by the light or the flash. Yeah. I'm with you on that, but there's other people who have seen glowing orbs floating in front of them that are the size of grapefruits. Yeah. That's a little different. Yeah. That's not an artifact that shows up in a picture later. And orbs that are sentient induce emotional distress, like at Skinwalker Ranch. Or it could be a natural phenomenon, St. Elmo's fire, something electrical. But uh, the idea, though, is that seeing that in person changes your mind. Hearing an EVP when you're there in person, it's like, well, I saw them record it, and I was recording with a device and didn't get anything, and something shows up in response to a specific question adds a little more weight than just hearing about it on a website. That's my point. You hear about it on a website, like, ooh, that sounds kind of creepy, and I've heard some really creepy ones. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to go re-listen to
2: them all now, because (laughs) my
1: whole... The base that I'm at has
5: yeah, changed. Right.
2: It's one of those things that it's easy for people who are at varying levels on the spectrum to react to differently. Sure. Like believers are like, yeah, EVPs. Like like I said about Kathy and Teresa and two of them on the, in the interview today. They were so matter-of fact. I said, Well, we're gonna go upstairs, try to get some EVPs. We'll probably get some because this place is kind of a hot spot. Then we're gonna go down here. they are just throwing all this stuff away. And I'm like, wait, you're gonna, we're gonna get an EVP? Are you kidding? <laughs> you know? And, yeah, and yeah. so there's that going on. But then there's other people who's like, oh, come on, you know, specifically. Regarding the DR60, which we should right. talk about. It was part of our uh-huh. cold open tonight, and we revealed in the interview with the Haunted Housewives that we have one now. And when I posted a picture of that on Instagram, I tweeted, I went on social media, I think yesterday, the day before yesterday, talking about what a great day it was because the morning I talked to Bill Snavely for like two hours about this plane yeah. in Buka. Just I had to hang up because we needed to work on this show, but I yeah. just couldn't stop asking him questions. It was so great. Then I got done with that. Then we interviewed Aislin about the theater, yeah. and then after that, the DR60 that we acquired arrived. Unboxing it was like you know. I know my wife looks at or follows one of these Instagram accounts where it's just like jewelry being Unboxed. opened up. yeah. yeah. I, cr- I was that excited <laughs> yeah, about yeah. this ancient yeah. 1993 recorder, but there's people that were immediately coming back on Twitter, like somebody, uh, I believe it was an associate of the Goose, of Ray Gooseby, mm-hmm. who, is, who mm-hmm. was like, the dr 60 isn't all that great, just right. immediately. And sure. then there's other people, and this is to be expected, and these are people that have been in the field with it. Like, I know that guy that tweeted, right. I don't know him, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he's an investigator. Mm-hmm. So he's like, oh, you know what, I'm not having any luck with this, maybe. Then I put on Instagram, Instagram, write that same post, and pizza lawyer 420, <laughs> pizza uh-huh. lawyer 420, uh-huh. yes, made a comment saying, Google Nyquist frequency sampling theorem, exclamation mm-hmm. point. The sampling rate of the dr 60 is only 6 kilohertz. That's very or, low. Yes, yeah. 6,000 hertz. It should be at least 40 kilohertz to clearly record room tone. The EVP sounds are, in parentheses, most likely aliasing due to the low sample rate. Now, I thought this was really fascinating. By the way, I did look up Nyquist frequency. Mm -hmm. The Nyquist frequency is the minimum rate at which a signal can be sampled without introducing errors, which is twice the highest frequency present in the signal. So what it's saying is that—I'm going to have a brief discussion about sampling here—but what it's saying is that you're going to get errors from the process of sampling, and the errors are what you're Mm hearing— With regard to these EVPs, right? Right, right. So to get more specific, the Nyquist-Shannon sampling theorem says the sampling frequency must be greater than twice the maximum frequency one which is to reproduce. Since human hearing range is roughly 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz, or 20 kilohertz, the sample rate has to be greater than 40 kilohertz for it to work. Now, here's the thing, Pizza Lawyer 420 if that is your real name. (laughs) Well, two of those things go together. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, amazing artwork and a very cute dog on your your Instagram. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you about the sample rate here. Six kilohertz is insanely low. And I'm just going to briefly talk about, this is leftover knowledge for me from when I used to edit TV commercials Mm -hmm. in terms of how sampling works, digital sampling. And I'm pretty sure I've told this in a prior episode, but I cannot remember which one. It was a long time ago. But let's just say, if you look at it simply, when you look at a sound wave, because this is how it was explained to me a long time ago, a friend of mine sat down and he said, okay, draw a sine wave. If you know what a sine wave looks like, it's like an S on its side, right? And You put a straight line through it. And the sine wave represents analog sound. It's a curve. That's the sound of music, mm-hmm. for lack of it. Mm-hmm. What a sample is, is if when you go into that sine wave, and let's say where it starts on a line, a horizontal line, and it goes up like a bell, like a bell curve, and it comes back down and touches the line. We'll just deal with the first half of this sine wave let's say that that represents a duration of one second. In that one second, you're going to sample that curve, that audio curve, to record the music, or whatever it is, the voice that it represents. So what you do is you draw a staircase inside the curve. And you can't make a curve, but you can make a staircase. So if you make a staircase, and the staircase has 6,000 steps going up and then coming back down on the backside of the curve, then that would be a sample rate of six kilohertz in the course of one second. Mm -hmm. You can imagine if the curve represents the actual sound that you're trying to capture, whether it's music or voices or whatever, that you're only intersecting it in 6,000 places that you're... Points, Yeah, 6,000 points, exactly. Then what you've got is kind of a jagged... Representation yes. of the curve that is the analog sound. Right. That jagged representation is only a small percentage of the audio. You're representing audio really with numbers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And this is math. And so then, if you take that sample rate and you increase it from six thousand to say what a CD is, which is forty four thousand one hundred mm-hmm. hertz or forty four point one kilohertz. Yeah. You're sampling that audio forty four thousand one hundred times in the course of a second then supposedly that's why most people cannot tell the difference between a CD, which samples that curve Mm -hmm. 44,100 times, an analog audio, like a record. Yeah. Now, there are people that will tell you there is no comparison. Right. Analog is perfect, and no matter how many steps you put on the little staircase, it will never be a curve. It will always be a jagged representation yes, of the curve. So there's, you know, tonal warmth yes. with uh, analog. Supposedly, and, but this yeah. is hard stuff to prove. Right. I mean, you can take all kinds of tests, and we actually did it at the place I used to work where we tried to see if people could tell the difference between sample rates, because you can mm-hmm. sample stuff all the way up way higher than 44.1, but CDs are 44.1. DATs, if you remember, those are production quality uh, tapes are 48,000 hertz or 48 kilohertz. So what Pizza Lawyer 420 is saying is that 6 kilohertz or 6,000 hertz is a very low sample rate and it creates a lot of problems. It's basically about a seventh the sample rate of a CD. It's Mm -hmm. way too low and it's not good to even clearly record room tone. But my question is, what I say to that is, is that why this seems to work? I mean, what are the words we're hearing when we hear what sounds like words from one of these recorders that has the six kilohertz sample rate?
1: Well, here's the dilemma of this dr 60 is that maybe it's audio artifacts that you're hearing. Yeah. But like you said, is that why if the phenomena is real, and now people are singing the phenomena song. Yeah. (laughs) The phenomenon (laughs) song. (laughs) Yes. Have at it. Is the mechanism of how that works digitally the reason why you're able to record this real thing? If it's not a real thing, is it then a product of this kind of shoddy <laughs> digital recording? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's two ways to kind of look at it.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. And, and they talked about putting their recorder, or one of them, I think they might have two, but putting it in a Faraday bag, which I mean, yeah, for people right, who right. don't know what a Faraday bag is, this is a bag that shields radio transmissions, and it shields yeah. you from—and so and I have one for my car keys, because if you have a car that knows when you're near it, like when the key mm-hmm. is in your pocket and it unlocks for you, yeah. there are thieves, especially here in Los Angeles, who drive up and down the street at night, and they have a repeater that, like, finds the car key in your house and convinces your car that's out in the driveway that the key's right next to it right. by boosting the signal from the key. Right. And then the car unlocks, and they go in it and go through all your stuff, and the alarm never goes off, and no one hears anything. Yeah. And you get yeah. up in the morning, and it's locked back. Right. And you don't even realize what's happened. Anyway, so you get these pouches. They have them on Amazon. You put the car keys in there so that when they go up and down the street with this box trying to make your car unlock, it won't see the keys. Right. Other things you can do is put them in the thing lined with aluminum foil or put them in your freezer, supposedly. Sure. They're putting this thing inside this bag mm-hmm. where no sound can come in. Mm-hmm. And sounds are still being recorded. But yeah. here's the other thing. The sounds that get recorded, you don't hear them as a person when you're present either. It's not really about the sound. It's not about the sensitivity, which I asked them about. Yeah, You should set it where you want to set it, but like I'm going to put ours back to the middle. But these EVPs, this is more like a manipulation of binary code or something that is using using those errors that pizza lawyer's talking
1: about right. well, to make a message for you. And here's the way to bypass all this because this is all digital talk. This yeah. is let's say late 90s and on, digitization of audio, which these, means converting it from an analog signal to a digital signal. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so talking analog, this bypasses all this because these things were being recorded. This uh type of phenomena was being recorded way before the digital era with which, analog machines, and with so, micro cassettes and cassette yeah as we we brought up earlier you can capture this with a cassette recorder remember the sixth sense that was a key part that he put in his movie m night that way down low you could hear these whispers and and what's going on there well when i first started to read about this phenomena you could do that because this was years ago before they were talking about digital recorders being able to do this you know, as we said earlier, you could use a tape recorder, but you needed a medium sound and it could be anything. So White noise. Yeah, yeah we talked white about noise, this in the interview. Exactly. Yeah. We talked about this in the interview where it could be just running water. Yeah. Again, you need the clay to mold the figures of the words and right. uh, whatever's happening there. So this has nothing to do with digital playback or capture. This is something else. So again, what's going on there? But, you know, again, it leads into this your areas of belief. Because right. remember the radio lab the story is about a, a young man whose parents unfortunately passed away very close to each other, if not at the same time. And he believes that they were trying to communicate to him through the house that they bequeathed him. Yes. Part of the thing they were using the uh, was the flashlight test where you kind of, you unscrew the bulb to the light goes out. Yeah. So there's a very slight contact, but the bulb's out. Right. You ask it questions and it will light up, you know, once for yes, twice for no, that kind of thing. So again, similar to dowsing rods or, you know, it's a magic eight ball kind of thing. You're trying to get an answer at a, out of a device that you believe the other side possibly can use to communicate with. And people were saying, like, look, if you're trying to debunk this, it's, well, of course, the bulb gets hot, metal expands, that makes the contact, it makes the bulb light right. up. Right, it's heating up and cooling down and and over, cooling and, over. Down, over yeah. and over. And cooling down over and over. And breaking the contact, Right, and it's like, well, okay, but if it's going kind of a sine wave up and down of heating and cooling, would then the lighting and the not lighting be consistent? Yeah. Like, on, off, on, off would it actually then spark up to questions? It, yeah. Because that's the context. And it was so powerful, the young man, you know, he started to cry. Yeah. It was answering his questions in a way. So it's kind of intermittent. And that that could all be coincidence. Now you're getting into the area of having personal meaning outweigh what's the scientific thing going on here. When something like this on tape happens, and it's analog or digital tape, and you ask questions, and it sounds like the answers to the questions, you get a lot of other strange sounds on the recordings. You can, yeah. uh, uh, which don't make any sense. Well, the our-
2: dr 60 makes a ton of noise. There's no question about yeah, I mean, all it, kinds yeah. of noises, kind of all the time,
1: right? Yeah, right. It's enough that yeah, you can hear the your own voice clearly when you record it. That's the purpose of the. I don't you know, know about clear <laughs> I think clearly <laughs> well, it's, is a generous word. You can understand yourself. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a not piece garbled of junk <laughs> in terms of recording. <laughs> what? What's what makes it work so great? That's yeah. my what well, my that's point. An, that's the irony of the device is that it actually aids in this kind of recording. So my point is that you, you can bypass all that and. You end up with sounds that are unintelligible, and then you have sounds that, man, that that is pretty clearly a word. Yeah. And that word answers a direct question I had. One of the scariest ones I've ever heard, if we are talking about ones that kind of freak us out, was, uh, I believe it was these two women who were investigating an old church or something, and one of them had a personal experience, like just being really afraid, going through this door. And it was very clear, but you heard the repeat, are you afraid? Are you afraid? And it was like, Ugh, that gave me chills. And it also fits the pattern of being repeated, a phrase repeated, which I wasn't that aware of, but now I am. And also,
2: that was the other thing that they said about Josephine, who was the woman of the night that lived upstairs. Right, Right, One of the things they said was that another group that went to the area that we went, they got a message when they asked about her. The response was, you'll never find her. Yeah. I mean, that's not just like one word away. (laughs) Another one that freaked me out, Forrest, when I was looking into this, was there was one where a guy was talking to his father using a DR-60, or Mm -hmm. at least he thought he was. Oh, yes, right, we saw that. And in the course of that one, the spirit of whatever he was talking to was like, how are you doing this? How are you hearing me? It had questions. Right. Then that freaked me out. It's giving me chills right now, because (laughs) it implies that they're all around us all the time trying to talk to us, and we can't hear
1: them. Yeah. And this
2: little thing is making that connection for some people, now other people are like, "God, this is bunk." You've hit stop on this podcast already. Right. I mean, it's like, are we are we all imagining this? Yeah, because there's also the idea that you have to be psychic or have some kind of ability. Well, it, it helps. has to be in the hands of a yeah. person that is a receptor for this kind of right. stuff, which was, may
1: mean that ours was a total waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, here, here's my uh, thinking on that, as far as uh, needing to be psychic you know, from what I know, it's like, it helps. They'll yeah. say, yeah, being open, being a tuning fork, a receptor, an antenna for this kind of stuff does help in the frequency and maybe the clarity, who knows. But if you think about the lore of the dr 60 and people, if they really were returning this thing, well, these people weren't out trying to get ghost voices. Yeah. They're trying to record a shopping list. Yeah. A, a memo to their assistant, whatever it is. And they're getting like, what is this whispering? Yeah again, that's happenstance, if that story's true, if that lore is true, and, and that, that's the fun part, because we always like to hear uh, unintended consequences yeah. of the paranormal nature that's happening with this, but who knows? So, I think if Scott and I were going to go out, I would maybe bring both. The DR-60 yeah. and a tape recorder with some fan noise, or, or TV uh, static snow noise. You can't find static anymore. Uh, Analog do, TV's <laughs> off the air. Well no, only I have digital a, TV, I have and a, there's no snow. You know, people have recorded recorded it, and made it available for EVP use. Oh, well, there you yeah, go. Yeah, I've seen yeah. that. I've seen that okay. online in some ghost hunting uh, websites where they've taken different sounds, whatever pleases you. People have stockpiled these noises to use in these kind of experiments. And that's what they are. They're experiments. They don't prove anything solidly, but they're interesting. And we're going to hear a few now. This is what I'll say at the time, is that I was just, again, acutely interested in, but I had no internal feeling. I didn't feel like chilled or yeah, creeped no. out or Yeah, no, I would scared, agree with that. Yeah, you know. But I was intensely fascinated with what yeah, was happening. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. As they were happening, it's like, yeah, and t- because again, it's the atmosphere. It's like they've turned down most of the lights. Yeah, uh, cut the power to they, everything they could. Right, to get, again, to decrease interference. And uh, people are talking kind of in low tones for a lot of it. And you're in the dark. In a spooky old theater. Yeah. So all we can say is that You have to listen to this and make up your own mind. Right.
2: I'm going to frame this. What we're going to be playing for you is that Forrest actually had the foresight to bring. He has a Zoom recorder. This is a digital recorder. It's what you would call a prosumer digital recorder. But his is an older one. It's a first-generation one. We actually have a newer one, but we didn't have that one with us. We will have both of them next time. And his Zoom... Did not pick up, as far as we can tell, we have a two and a half hour file that we haven't listened to the whole thing. But uh, the parts that we've heard right now, it did not itself pick up any EVPs, electronic voice phenomena. But what he did, because he recorded the whole ghost hunt, you're going to hear the DR60, the Panasonic that the Haunted Housewives have, you're going to hear them setting up their questions and then playing back the answers, if there were any, on the DR60. So there were a lot of memorable incidents the night of the ghost hunt, but we have selected two EVP events to share with you guys, our listeners, that we were personally present for when they happened. To be clear, there were lots and lots of questions that got asked and had no answers, no sounds. Some had sounds that you couldn't make out what
1: they were. Right, They were sounds that appeared similar in tone and textured timber. To the ones that are more clear, yes. But again, you couldn't make out the words, and yeah. uh, apparently that happens a lot too. So you know, it's it's like that's mumbling ghosts. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. and
2: also this recorder it makes a lot of noise. If you turn it on, you don't have to ask any questions. It's going to be like <laughs> it kind of. Are you it getting just a does lot does of that? that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it well, does maybe that. your
1: living room's haunted.
2: No, I <laughs> it's I think it's the recorder. That's what okay. it does. But I also think that's part of how this works, and I think you guys are going to be surprised at what you're going to hear here in a minute. Mm-hmm. So. It's also our understanding that by the way when you do a ghost hunt and you have a lot of people it's often harder to get results because maybe it's the energy of all the people I know absolutely nothing about what I'm talking about. but <laughs> th- a, for some reason there's a lot of chaos it doesn't yeah. work it yeah. doesn't work as well so right. but these two really stood out to us and frankly they changed my entire opinion on EVP's because I was there I know for a fact there was no way to fake what happened here and I personally witnessed it. So that leaves the only available mundane, non-paranormal explanation as being that the dr 60 being such a crappy but currently astronomically <laughs> expensive digital recorder, is producing a ton of internal noise, as it's wont to do. And we are simply mistaking these sounds for words. Now, if that's what's happening, I don't know. You're going to have to tell me, as with all of our topics— We're going to let you guys be the judge. So here's the first piece. What you're going to hear here is Kathy, Kathy Weber from the Haunted Housewives, talking about how the recorder works and explaining that there's a little red light on it. And she talks about what the red light does. You're not going to hear any sounds from anyone in the room while she's talking. Although you might hear some handling noises and clicking from Forrest, who is operating the Zoom. (laughs) Right. Because he's holding it in his hand and kind of moving it around. Don't worry. You're not going to get that confused with the good stuff. So listen closely as she explains about the red light. I'm
0: going to lay my recorder in here. This way, if you have a message, it can be private, and you can just leave it light in the recorder, okay? So you can sit in you it. on. you see the red light on the end. Just be that red light, okay? So we're going to shut the door and leave you alone.
2: Now, just to be clear, that was completely unfiltered in any way and played exactly as Forrest's Zoom picked it up, albeit with the volume raise. We turned it up because he was so far away from the DR60 when it was played back. We're going to play it again for you now, but this time our editor, Sarah, has applied some noise reduction filters to try and make it easier to understand what is there. Now, we want to make it absolutely clear. We're going to be doing this a couple of times with these files, just so you can hear them a little bit better. We want to make it absolutely clear that this is filtration. Nothing has been added to the audio, only taken away, and then what was left behind has been boosted for audibility. And that's going to be the case anytime you hear us playing it back. We'll just call it cleaned up, okay?
0: I'm going to lay my recorder in here. This way, if you have a message, it can be private and you can just leave it right here in the recorder. Okay? So you can sit in this chair if you need to. Now, turning it on, so you'll see the red light on the end. You just keep laying the red light, okay? So, we're going to shut the door and leave you alone. I think those are dressing. Oh,
5: it does really shine.
2: Okay, so that's where Kathy took their dr 60 She put it in a room. She's explaining about the red light to the ghost. It's funny because at one point she said, this is a digital recorder. It records your voice. And she later wound up apologizing. She was like, that, that was dumb. They like, it's, like, I'm over-explaining how the recorder works. To, you know, <laughs> what, to the ghost? Yeah, to the ghost. Yeah, well, they, 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 yeah, she's from like, another I don't want era. to be talking down to them, so more or less what she was saying. But anyway, so she puts it in yeah. there. You know, at this point, I was sitting on the floor. It was cold up there, too. It was about yeah, like 65 yeah. degrees, maybe, in this upstairs dressing room. It's in the wings of the stage, second floor, concrete and bricks everywhere, Yeah, 100-plus-year-old building. We sat quietly for nearly two minutes while that Yeah, she thing, let it go for two minutes. Yeah, while run, that thing was in right. there. And you can see, hear her saying, well, you know, here's the red light. That means it's recording. She's telling that to us, yeah. basically explaining to us. So what we're going to play now, what you have to understand is when something happens an EVP happens and... I'm talking like I'm an expert, but I've been exactly <laughs> one sure. session. Why not? But when something happens, you don't hear it when you're there. So right. we were all very, very quiet. Nobody's now, talking. Sometimes people do hear
1: disembodied voices. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think those get recorded. I think that's a different experience. Talking about rules here, I think you can record them because I, I believe what they said was that anything you can hear, you can record. Yeah. Again, it's my. See, that, I, don't, that I don't believe that. Well, no, that, I think that, if it's a personal experience. It yeah. can be in your head because I well, know, the, like no, with Greyfriars, people were once somebody would hear yeah. something and the other person wouldn't that goes to my bigger point even the overriding point is that there's not just one mode there's yeah. all these variations that could happen yeah our own uh, i believe our own rob Christofferson has heard a disembodied voice our friend adam over at the uh, graveyard tales podcast he was on a ghost hunt he and a bunch of other people heard a disembodied voice that I don't think ended up on tape, or they didn't capture it. Yeah. It could be all manner of things. You don't know. And it could be just in your head, and uh, you could be imagining it.
2: Well, here's what we want to share with you now. This clip, this is going to be Forrest recording on his Zoom at a little bit of a distance. So again, it's the handling noise from his Zoom. But you're going to hear what the dr 60 recorded after... Kathy was giving the instructions for the communication and also explaining to us all how the recorder worked. I want you to pay a lot of attention to the words red light. I debated whether or not I was going to tell you guys that because I didn't want to lead you. But to me, this is so clear that it doesn't matter if you're being led or not. This is not a vagary in terms of sound. Yeah. Also, listen for the laughter. And it gets stepped on a little bit because they're playing it back. And then um, I'm not sure who it is. I think it might be our friend Roger who's like, that's laughter right there. And what you'll hear is you'll hear kind of like a (laughs) ha-ha-ha. And yeah, well, well there's a couple of things. That fully gives me the chills. There, there's even, a couple of
1: things in, in the clip. And again, I'm not sure if, uh, yeah, they do point it out just so you know what you're hearing. When I listen to it, even with just earbuds, yeah. you'll hear what kind of sounds just like gobbledygook, you know, garbled interference. But when you think about it, it's again, it's not training your mind to fall into line and to believe this once you realize what's being said, then it sounds clearer. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So let's play that clip now.
0: I said flashlight, I okay? think. Well, you know, go back, it says, somebody said flashlight right after that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So somebody rep- repeated it? Because they repeat a lot. I replied, but it's a light. That's a hey. I hear a red light in the background. Somebody whispered red light. So I'm using my red light in the background. That's laughing right there. It's that red light. Okay, hold on. I, I did hear red light more than one time. It's quiet in the background. You I, Can you hear Ray? Yeah. Was that earth 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 I heard <laughs> the, low, the low pitch yeah.
1: red light. I heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you hear it? That was clear. <laughs> so they repeated me. They, they mimicked a lot. There's
0: a lot of mimic. They say it again, it? Did you hear it right there? Red light. Red light. that a red light again. Right there. See? That's they keep everybody. saying it in yeah. the background. Yeah, they're the other way. Are you all making fun of me or what? Yeah, I heard a laugh. <laughs> So, do you think the red light's funny? They repeated "red light" right when I said "red light." That was very clear, actually. No, I can actually record, record. <laughs> okay. you have actually recorded. I recorded. We enough time to
2: do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's that clip again, cleaned up, as I described how we would do that a few minutes ago.
0: Okay. I said flashlight, they okay. think. Well. Go back. I mean, somebody said flashlight right after that. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it yeah. said, yeah. Light and then somebody said red, red light. or flashlight? So somebody rep- repeated? Because they repeat a lot. I heard red light. It was a red light. That's a hay. I hear a red light in the background. Somebody whispered a red light. So I'm using my red light in the background. That's right it's laughing. They said red light. Okay, hold on. I, I did hear red light more than one time. It's quiet in the background. You I, Can you hear right? Yeah. Was that I heard, I heard <laughs> the, the low pitch red light. I heard it. Did you hear it? That was clear. So they
1: repeated me. They, they mimic a lot.
0: There's a lot of mimic. They say it again. It? Did you hear it right there? Mm-hmm. Red light. Red light. It's a red light again. Right there. See? That they keep saying it red right. in yeah. the background. Yeah, there do Oh, are you going to make it fun of me or what? Well, I heard a laughing. So do you think the red light's funny. <laughs> they repeated red light right when I said red light. That was very clear, actually. No, I have actually Recorded. I
2: recorded. Okay, mm-hmm. I wish we could take a live poll. I want to know how many people listening to this <laughs> rewound that.
0: Yeah.
5: Because I'm telling you right <laughs> hit, now hit the, yeah, the, the I'm rewinding seconds. it here in yeah. Pro
2: Tools while we've got it in here as a placeholder as we're editing because the laughter is crazy uh, yeah. to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. And then the red light, you hear it at varying volumes. Yeah. And for the people that say Oh, it's misunderstood. The DR60 is just doling right. out all this information. I, I feel like in that scenario, what you're looking at is a kind of random gobbledygook, error-inducing gobbledygook. Is what they're implying is yeah. what we're all hearing. Yeah. To me, that's not repeatable. That's random.
1: Yeah. So what yeah.
2: we're hearing here is a phrase that sounds like these two very specific words repeated over and over. Right. I do not think the DR60, with all its flaws would be perfectly repeating the same sounding words two or three times at varying levels of volume. I'm just sorry, I just don't believe that. Well... I just don't believe it.
1: Look, here's what I think about just that level of digital recorder to begin with, is that if you're getting that much noise and interference, and like that standard, like that standard operating procedure for the dr 60 I'm not sure you would release that to the public to be sold in the first place. It's so weirdly noisy and chattery Yeah, in that kind of sense that you would be so distracted just hearing back your own notes. Yeah. Because what you're hearing on the tape is like, you know, just this weird kind of stuff. And also, I don't know how this ended up, but it, it sounds so much different. I agree. It's very, very faint, but I can hear it in my recording when they're playing it back is a very faint red light. Yeah, whispered. no, you can hear it in this, too, yeah. if you listen. But it doesn't sound like the digital noise chatter yeah. of the, the, the vocal timbre of the other words that you're hearing. So yeah. it, that sounds different, and that's why people reacted the way they did when they heard it. Well, and here's the other thing I want to say
2: about this. We were there. If you've listened to our show, you know us. I mean, if you've ever trusted us about anything— What you can know about this is that both Forrest and I were present for this. We personally saw the equipment used in real time. We can attest, being pretty familiar with recording gear, that there was no opportunity for hoaxing, and also that the words that you heard, the red light, the laughter, that was not something we heard in the room while the recording was being made. Right. Absolutely not. No one was saying that. It didn't happen. We were there. So the first recording, just reminding you again, that was Forrest recording her giving the instructions and turning the player on and setting it to record. Yeah, I'm about
1: six or seven feet away from uh, where they're standing. As you can picture it, there's two dressing rooms. Uh, small ones upstairs. Yes. And they're standing in one of them. I'm standing in the next one. And I'm yeah, and kind of, there's in six the doorway. or seven of
2: us all kind of crammed yeah, up there. Right. And that's what that is. And then the second recording, what you're hearing is when Kathy played back what the recorder picked up. And then that's being played in real time and going into Forrest's recorder, which is several feet away. So that's what you're hearing. And there's no opportunity for a hoax here. The only thing it can be is it's an artifact right. that sounds like the words red light right <laughs> after she had a discussion about a red light.
1: Yeah. You're hearing Ugh. something that sounds a lot like something that's very relevant to what you're discussing at the moment, I would say. Yeah. And, and so and yeah, it's, it it's be, not it completely be, random. Yeah. It's not rando, you know, is It's as the kids a really, say. really a very convincing coincidence if it is.
2: All right. So let's get on to the last one that we wanted to share, the second one. The Dark Roast Moment, which we played briefly at the top of the show over our theme music, but we thought you might want to hear that again. So this is the one that changed my entire worldview on EVPs. <laughs> I mean, just yeah. prior to this night, like I said, EVPs, orbs, kind of the same thing for me. Yeah. I still think a huge number of EVPs, especially from a device like the dr 60 are likely misidentified. And I will fiercely debate with anyone who says that the sounds in the prior clip are not the words red light. And I will also debate that about the clip you are about to hear, during which Kathy Weber from the Haunted Housewives asks the fondly remembered departed spirit of Merle, what kind of coffee he liked. As before, we're going to play Forrest's recording of her asking the questions, and you will clearly hear that no one is making a sound. Although there's definitely some faint street noise, Kent State University had just, I think, finished exams. It was, Mm, so kids were out partying, because this is downtown. Saturday night. A lot of bars around there. So outside you would hear this stuff, but there's a brick wall. There wasn't even a window, I don't think. There's a brick wall between us and that noise on the street, but you will hear some of that. Also, I know at one point we could hear chattering from one of the other groups on the ghost house that was downstairs from Mm -hmm. us, maybe a flight down. So you're going to hear that too. That's not what this is about, trust me. That's kind of background noise in the faint distance. We're going to play this clip in its entirety as it was recorded on Forrest's recorder. You can hear us all trying to figure out what was said. Even Forrest going out, he initially thought he heard the word lighter in response to this coffee question. But once we heard it again, after we recorded it into the iPhone and played it back, it became much, much clearer. So let's start with the, the setup clip where you can hear Kathy ostensibly asking Merle what kind of coffee he likes. Also, I just want to remind everyone, in the interest of transparency, we're playing this clip in its entirety with the long moments of silence between two or three questions, because we wanted to give you a real sense of what it was like in there when this happened, and how quiet it was. So there's nothing wrong with your podcast. Please do not adjust your podcast <laughs> players uh, yeah. when you hear this clip.
0: This is Kathy, and we're at the Kent stage. Uh, Ray's here, and there's a group of people, and... Um, We're trying to figure out exactly what type of spirit energies are around us. So we invite you to come forward and to visit with us. And if anybody has anything they'd like to say, we should be able to pick it up on this thing in my hand, which is called a recorder. There's a red light on the end. If you'd like to speak directly into the red light, we should be able to hear what you have to say. Do you know Rochelle and Tom? If Merle is present. Earl, did you like a dark roast on your coffee or did you like something a little lighter? Yeah, there's a lot of noise outside. Yeah. Exactly. In fact, that, that one screen from outside, I picked it up on here, and this is, like, not the most sensitive recorder. Mm-hmm. And it, de- it definitely picked it up. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's see if we got anything on here anyway.
2: Okay, and here's that clip one more time, cleaned up.
0: This is Kathy, and we're at the Kent Stage uh, raise here, and there's a group of people, and... Um, We're trying to figure out exactly what type of spirit energies are around us. So we invite you to come forward and to visit with us. And if anybody has anything they'd like to say, we should be able to pick it up on this thing in my hand, which is called a recorder. There's a red light on the end. If you'd like to speak directly into the red light, we should be able to hear what you have to say. Do you know Rochelle and Tom? If Merle is present, Did you like a dark roast on your coffee or did you like something a little lighter?
5: Yeah, there's a
0: lot of noise outside. In fact that one screen from outside I picked it up on here and this is like not the most sensitive recorder. And it it definitely picked it up. Yeah. Well let's see if we got anything on here
2: anyway. Forrest, I'm not certain, but I think I did hear a message on there from your stomach. (laughs)
1: Well, I don't know what that was. No, I didn't realize, well, I'm trying to be still, you know, so imagine holding a device perfectly still for two and a half hours. Well, you know, we start, this is early in the ghost hunt. It's kind of weird. I mean, the, I didn't even think to take any pictures really. Yeah. During it, I mean, it's dark. I could have without the flash. I was making. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I was making much more noise than uh, I would wanted to or thought. Right with the flashlight and yeah, pressing I, the buttons I, on the zoom. And, right. So yeah. I'm trying to on the zoom. I'm trying to get the best angle. You could change the angle of capture on it. Right. Two channel, four channel, whatever. I'm trying to get the settings right. Yeah. And really, just kind of again, not knowing what to expect. I'm a bystander. You know, I'm yeah. a spectator on this kind of stuff, and so I knew that, of course, once they asked the questions, you know, be quiet, and be still. To pick that up, I've also got like a UV flashlight to kind of search around the room to, you know, just to see. I'd heard that these uh, non-normal spectrum lights, sometimes you can see things you can't with like a regular flashlight. So I'm kind of using that. You can hear that clicking. And uh, so I'm I'm making more noise than I thought we would be examining. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. Yeah. I just mostly was recording to have an audio memento for myself, not thinking we would really have much to use on the show. We didn't really kind of talk about doing this as an episode. I thought, like, well, if you got some interesting interviews there, maybe we could run those. I didn't think that the ghost hunting portion of this could make a show of its own, you know, because again, you're not certain. I just don't know what we would we what to catch. expect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I was a little bit surprised when you hear that back, and even at the time when they're playing it, it's like, yeah, I, I, I heard that. Yeah, <laughs> I was there, and I, I heard something, and I witnessed it. Yeah. So now we get to the part
2: where we're going to play for you what was on the recorder when Kathy asked the questions. Uh, everybody ready? It's my Yeah, that one still gives us chills. i got to be honest, (laughs) it gives me chills anyway. Uh, Here it is again with us cleaning it up a little bit. Uh, And I repeat, we haven't added anything to it. We're just doing uh, noise reduction and boosting the mix a little. We first wanted to play it pretty much straightforward, but just with raised volume so that you would know it was unaffected. So now here it is with uh, Sarah giving it a little love in post-production. Did you guys hear that here we're gonna play it again we played it back again in the room there I did cut a little bit out here because there was a lot of talking so in the interest of full transparency um, I removed some and we're skipping down to the next part where we played back the coffee question again you
0: coffee you like a little one more
2: time for you guys
0: progress a dark rose, sided coffee, or did you like something a little
2: lighter? <laughs> Here that is again cleaned up.
0: Did you know Michelle and Tom? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Well, yes, yes, so did you like a dark rose, sided coffee, or did you like something a little lighter? <laughs>
2: That's going to wrap up our show on our visit to the Kent Paranormal Weekend in Kent, Ohio Special thanks to Aislinn Charlton-Dennis Rochelle Charlton Devlin Charlton-Dennis The Haunted Housewives Teresa Argy and Kathy Weber Also Jim Harold, and all the other great presenters and fans we met in Ohio living and dead
1: We're dark next week, but we'll be back the week after that with a new show. Please remember to support our sponsors. They keep the show free and the lights on at Blanket Fortiana. Special thanks to John Bolin.
4: Hi, I'm Darren Young. My name is Jazz. It's I-N-S. I-N-S. And I give permission to Astonishing Legends. Z H A J. To use my voice, however they see fit. I and
5: S. Our
2: show is edited by Sarah Wendell, and our theme, which is available as a ringtone, is by Judson Crane.
1: Sound design is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to the ARC and its lead researcher, Tess Feifel. But most importantly, we want to thank you, our listeners. Visit our store at AstonishingLegends.com or interact with us and other listeners on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
2: You can also find us at Patreon.com slash AstonishingLegends if you'd like to support the show in that way. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions. Good
1: night.